Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. I am greeted with a hostile press, the likes of which no president has ever seen. They come at you with the most horrible, horrendous, biased questions. And you see it, 94 and 95% of the press is hostile. They treat me so unfairly, it's hard to believe that I won. We're now looking at the worst president in American history. The worst president in American history. The worst president in modern history. This era we're in with Donald Trump, it's like the gates of hell have been opened. We thought Emperor Nero was wrong to fiddle as Rome burned. This guy's worse. He's been an abomination. What a poor excuse for a president. This moral monster. What a poor excuse for a man. What a pathetic, sniveling little man our president is. What a poor excuse for a human being. He's unfit to be human. I believe this man is capable of... of horrific horrific deeds this vile immoral corrupt indecent dangerous intellectually unfit president is a danger to all of us it's not really in serious dispute anymore that president trump is not up to this job the president has been inept from the start this president uh, has has basically uh, failed the american public how badly uh, is he failing right now? Do you think to date, in the last six months, he has damaged the credibility of the office of the presidency? Homicidal negligence of the president of the United States. There is death after death after death that is on the president's watch. He has blood on his hands. Our president has blood on his hands. Blood on his hands. Rivers of blood on his hands. More people are dead and dying in America tonight because Donald Trump is president. All right, so today the question being asked, is President Trump a racist? Is President Trump a racist? We have a racist president. We have a racist as a president. We have a, a man-child who is deranged and racist in this office. You don't have a president, as you said, talking about exterminating right. Latinos. It almost feels like a little ethnic cleansing is going on in the United States right now. People say, well, I'm not sure President Trump is racist. Well, racist is as racist does. No, he is a racist. He is a racist. Can we just say it once and for all? Anyone who is in that White House and who is supporting him is complicit in their racism as well. To people who look like me, it's about imminent danger. When I see the Make America Great Again hat now, Chris, I am triggered. I'm so triggered. This Make America Great Again hat is just as maddening and frustrating and triggering for me to look at as a KKK hood. This president, Donald John Trump, has instigated a race war in America. When he said today, America first, it was not just the racial, I mean, the, I should say racial, the Hitlerian uh, background to it. America first is really white America first. That is just the emboldening of white bigotry by a white nationalist, white supremacist presidency. It carries with it overtones from the 1930s. The words themselves carry very ugly echoes in our history. Is it appropriate to ask whether the president is having difficulty with rationality? It, it, it's, it's crazy what we're watching every day. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. People in European governments think that Trump has lost his mind. It is possible that he's m mentally ill in a way. It's almost like being in, 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 in the ward of a, of a mental hospital half the time. We're, we're getting the ramifications um, as a nation of what having a sick man in the White House means. I don't believe him sane. 
flatly. I don't think he's a stable person. He is unstable. He's not well. I saw this as a as a psychotically incoherent speech with cookies and dog poop. Do you think there's any part of him that's capable of shame? I can't feel normal human emotions. I don't think he's capable of the basic empathies that we feel as human beings, and that's what a sociopath is. This is what happens when you elect a sociopath as president. This is somebody in deep psychological distress right now, self-pitying, insecure, angry. The president, described as volcanic, seething tonight. The president went ballistic. NBC News has learned the president became unglued this week. Get real! Come on! We talked about the... He's nuts, and we're in the middle of it! Well, I, Chris, I think that uh, that address probably should have come with a, a Surgeon General's warning. It was hazardous to the truth. How can anyone see this as unifying when he is spewing out lies to the American people? Well, no, there was lying. A, do, do you think journalists are going to look back years from now and regret not doing even more to speak out about this lying and deceit? I think some journalists will. This is an astounding blizzard of lies. Blizzard of lies. Blizzard of lies. From the President of the United States. He lies every minute. He changes his story second to second. You're facing a Fertilizer spreader in a windstorm. Start from that premise. He's a liar. We should fact check him backwards, maybe. See if anything he's telling us is true. Trump and some of his allies are promoting a hate movement against the American press. He is really trying to incite violence against reporters. How else can you interpret mm. it? If he could arrest us tomorrow, let me ask you a question. Do you think he would arrest us tomorrow? Because if you say he wouldn't, you're just lying to yourself. It's a grotesque abuse of power by the president of the United States. This is the kind of thing that goes on in non-democracies. Let's be frank, a national nightmare is upon us. The country has a president who operates as an outlaw. This president is a criminal, a thief and a liar. A grifter. Like a mob boss. How strange is it for you to sit here and compare the president to a mob boss? While he's technically exonerated from a crime, is he exonerated from his behavior? Is President Trump out Nixony Nixon? The president is a Russian operative. America's president sided with its enemy today. That sounds like the description of a bad Hollywood screenplay, but it is real. No president has ever been charged with treason, Douglas. Do, do you believe the president's actions fall anywhere within that definition? That would be treason, right? The spirit of what Trump did is clearly treasonous. To believe that the president isn't compromised requires such a leap of faith. All he had to do was not, you know, put on jammies and crawl under the covers with Vladimir Putin, and he couldn't do that. Biggest winner, Vladimir Putin. He basically took over the United States and got himself a Manchurian candidate. What does Putin have on him? What does Putin have on Trump? What does Putin have on what, what does Putin, Putin have, have on Trump? Trump? We don't know, I think, if Putin is his handler, his hero, or his co-conspirator, but that's obviously where his loyalty lies. Trump's authoritarian tendencies are on full display. Donald Trump is an authoritarian of the first order. A increasingly authoritarian president who is a danger for all of us. The right-wing media's dear leader. Toxic dear leader. Wannabe dictator. Dime store slurring Mussolini. The Trump administration has been copying the wrong Korea. Open your eyes, America. Open your eyes. We are teetering on a dictatorship. Authoritarian leaders tend to get reelected because they are willing to improperly abuse the power of the government they control to keep themselves in power. This would be the end of America. If this is what we're going to be, this won't be a democracy. That's a monarchy. He's functionally a monarch. I want to start using the word fascist. Yeah, he's a fascist. And if yeah. the party nominates 
Uh, Hitler, are you going to vote for him? Many tendencies like Adolf Hitler. Yeah. I said it, throw me off the air. Increasingly, Donald Trump is turning this nation into Nazi Germany. Does this look like Germany in 1933? We're getting close. That is exactly why Donald Trump is compared to Hitler. I, I hate comparing Trump to Hitler because Hitler could concentrate for more than 30 seconds and had normal-sized human hands. Trump no doubt learned from any number of authoritarian leaders over the last 90 years. Ataturk, Franco, Mussolini, Stalin, and Hitler. One thing we're not is the opposition. We're not the opposition party. We are just trying to get at the truth. When you see um, entire media companies essentially exist to tear down Joe Biden, is there an equivalent to that on the left tearing down Trump? Uh, there, there really isn't. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 22nd of October, year of our Lord, 2020. How y'all doing? I know that's a long intro. That's a great super clip of four years of hate. And I thought it was a perfect way to start our case against voting for Biden. Now, if you notice, once again, it's not the case to vote for Trump. It's the case to vote against Biden, because as stated, that's what I did. And this will be a long podcast. We're going to do two shows today. The first one will be the case against Biden. The second show will be just Hunter Biden and media bias, which is an overriding theme. And to be quite honest, I could sum the whole show up with just a simple statement. If Donald Trump wasn't on the ticket, this would be a no-brainer. You just wouldn't vote for Biden. There's no reason to vote for Biden. He's laid no case out other than, I hate Trump and America's bad. So that's really not a reason to vote for somebody, but it's because of Trump and the way the media, the left, the elites in our country hate him, he's leaning in the polls. It's a, it's a crazy concept. One of the reasons I will not be really presenting in here, other than the law and order and criminal justice reform, um, I'm not going to lay out every reason, you're going to hear... Um, when we segue from segments, of course, a bumper saying it, but I thought it was pretty good, really, to just do this. Yeah, we're going to do the law and order theme. Uh, when we start a new subject, but the law and order will hit BLM and the violence entailed, but violence really was the overriding theme for me. Uh, what has transpired since May, for most Americans, is, oh, that's horrible. But you weren't paying attention. Uh, my initial intent was to play uh, Crenshaw. He did a soundbite, I want to say it was last year. And we played it on the show, and he literally said, you, you just have to listen and believe what these people say. And I played it as one of those, ha-ha, Tony Reid's right, because... I have been saying that. If you're not listening to these people, you just don't understand. I mean, I just don't get it how you don't understand. They are about violence. They are the fascists. They are the wordsmiths. They are the people that censor. They're the people that literally spend all day talking about how America's a fascist dictatorship because their candidate didn't win an election, but they're the actual fascists running around beating people, hitting people. I mean, how many cases... Of Trump supporter beat, have do we have, do we have to talk about? 
before people understand. The people on the left are unhinged. They're different than normals and the right. They believe that they are the only people. They're the arbiter of all facts, truth. They hate America and they want to change so bad. They'll resort to violence. And they get away with it with the media that covers all the time. Talking about the phantom white supremacists that are out there lynching people every day, but you don't hear about it. And phantom police forces that just go after black people. Yeah, that's how they get away with it. There's always an article, whenever the violence gets bad, including the baseball diamond shoot-up, it's white supremacists are the biggest threat to America. They, they do it all the time. It's not true. We all know it's not true. But they get to do it because they own the narrative. Everything is a narrative, as we say all the time on the show. And they get away with just making shit up. Because it is made up. It's not true. None of it's true. Are there white supremacists and are there dangerous and are there militias? Yes. But they're actually not doing anything other than internet trolling and being dicks and having their secret white supremacist meetings. The left's been in the street beating the fuck out of people since some November 2016. So, having said that, one of the reasons is violence. And today there'll be no bumpers. I usually play my violent left right now. Not gonna. I'm just gonna cover a few cases of violence that have happened since the last podcast. But before we do that, I wanted to get some uh, housework done. I got a troll letter uh, and I have new listeners. So I wanted to put out the things that I I guess I really stopped doing on my closing. Uh, This is your show. So if anybody has any information or anything you want covered, you just have to email at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com, foppodcast.gmail.com. Or if you know me personally, text me. Uh, this troll said well, your, your radio network should be embarrassed by the quality of your podcast and you're a white supremacist and da-da-da. Somebody stumbled across it down in Berkeley, I'm assuming. And what they don't understand, it it was actually a compliment because this is a dude in a basement. I, I don't work for a radio station. I have no real training on anything. I'm just some guy. And over time, I put together a podcast and edited some bumpers and did this and that. My nephew, Sean in Oregon, who contributes to the show all the time, which is Matt in Oregon's son, was going to give me a class Monday, but my wife decided to go out on the lake in the rain, which why I scheduled that meeting. I didn't think she'd want to do that, but she did. So we ended up going to the lake, but next Monday I'll get a class on trying to improve the show. Cause I do notice the sound quality of audio levels. And you know, I, I picked up audacity. It's open source. I have got all these programs that came with all the mics, but this was the easiest to cut and paste. It was kind of like using um, Excel or Word or PowerPoint, any of the Office products, I guess I could have said to sum it up. And, you know, I, it's not perfect, but thanks for the trolling, because it is a compliment if you think this was a real radio station. It's not. It's radio station in the basement. I'm the Chris Farley freaking character, Matt Foley. 
and I drink a bunch of coffee and monsters and go down in my basement and scream in a mic. That's literally, guess not what the character did. He, he drank a bunch of coffee, then he went upstairs. But I stay in the basement in a van down by the river. So let's start with a quick little violence and then we'll get into the more articulate and pointed policy reasons why you should not vote for Biden. But I couldn't resist violence because violence, yeah, that's that's a big reason. That is a supercut somebody made that I gotta admit I, I fucking laughed heartedly, just heartedly that they would do this. I mean, if you really think about it, this is about a Supreme Court nominee. And for people to come that unglued, if you really think about it, is scary. It is just incredibly scary that you could get that upset. There's nothing that gets me that upset that I I literally lose my shit over and go to the internet and scream. Now, granted, I, I understand a lot of these people literally, you know, they, they fucking want to go viral and they want to be cool. And m- most of this anti-Trumpism is Twitter and, you know, social media driven. They spend their time on social media saying, hey, you know, you need to fucking do this. And if you vote for Trump and how can you do it? You're killing black pandas and all the stuff that we laugh about, they think is real. You know, they they really just think the end of days is coming. But just this week, and and I didn't even search, San Francisco free speech rally canceled after organizers tooth knocked out. Police escort Trump supporters away from violent mob. He's a black guy. He was doing another one of those things, uh, Team Save America, and they, they punched him in the face, knocked his goddamn tooth out. Nothing happened to them. They just made those people go away. Biden supporter installing political sign outside home reportedly shoots a Trump supporter driving past. See the guy? He's got a really nice blonde mullet. And then you see 44%. Of young Americans say it's okay to fire people who support Trump. That's how unhinged these people are. We have spent four years playing sound bites of randos just making the crime of wearing a Trump shirt, a mega hat. Uh, I, I just. I I don't understand how that's acceptable. And we play the cut that we do on every show of Democrats calling for it. 
It started with the red hen and a press secretary getting run out. And then it became commonplace, calling for riots. Every candidate for Democratic president said these people should not be able to go out in public. And we've culminated now with the general consensus that we need a truth and consequences, or truth and consensus, sorry, committee after the election to punish people. And that, if you don't know, came from Nazi Germany, where they brought people out to have to admit in a public forum, I was a Nazi and I'm sorry. These people are so wired into fucking Nazism, it's it's really kind of scary how far the left is. But you had to come out and you had to say, you were sorry. I was a Nazi. There's like 10 other stories that I'm not even going to go into. Just this week of people being assaulted, attacked, their signs being taken down, yelled at, accosted. We're not even talking about rallies in Portland and things that are still happening. I mean, they burned down a garbage elk. They built an elk out of wood. They burned that fucking shit down. Because somehow the elk in Portland is a white supremacist. I mean, do the math on that. But it comes from our media. And so before we go into our first articulate, not based on me ranting about fascists in the street beating people, we have Don Lemon. Unofficial Trump events like this have been happening all over the country. Boat parades, car caravans, bike parades. What attendees have in common is disposable income to spend on fun. While Trump's working class supporters have gotten lots of attention, in 2016, a third of his voters made more than $100,000 a year. In fact, support for Trump is particularly strong among white voters who have high incomes for their area, the locally rich. The reason we're here supporting Trump is because we believe that Trump will help us be able to keep the money that we make and let us be able to work as hard as we want and not give our money away. People like Nancy Pelosi can, you know, get her fundings through this given money to people that aren't willing to work for it. I've worked for it all my life. I had to work to put myself through college so I can get a job and do what I enjoy, which is an activity like this. And spend, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on toys because I choose to. He really is for your hard-working people. But I got to tell you, the story that you did before that about the rich folks, it kind of dismantles that whole thing about economic anxiety was the reason that Trump was got elected. Those people have no economic anxiety. They're rich. Well, they have economic anxiety. They, they don't want to give away any of the more money to taxes. And what does that say? That's like that used to be the traditional Republican, which was you just didn't want to get taxed anymore. I don't you want, want to, to get taxed money. anymore. I don't want to get taxed anymore. Listen, you do what you want. But I want to be able to buy a $20,000 dune buggy. But I don't want to help people who, are, who may be in need. I don't want to. I want to be able to buy a whatever, which is fine, but just own up to it. And stop pretending that, that the reason is economic anxiety. If you have enough disposable income to play dune buggies in the desert, and listen, I, we all ha- I like to have fun. You like to have fun. You like to go boating and fishing. That's, but just be honest about what your intentions and what you think and stop pretending that it is something else and stop ignoring the elephant in the room. 
It's not really economic anxiety. It's actually, I think it is selfishness because, listen, I do well. I don't mind paying more taxes for people who are not doing well to help other people out. This is America. I will be okay. How much do I need? I can cut back. I can pay more. Listen, trust me, I don't like it. I don't like paying a lot of it, but I do it because what? When you said it's here, it's also here because I realize that it was when, when preparation and luck meet. There's a certain degree of luck to where I am, to where you are, to where everybody gets. And so everybody can't have that. Some people don't have bootstraps. So as Americans, as people, especially if you believe in the Christian values that you espouse, you're supposed to do unto others and help others. So I do that as much as I can. I don't like it. But I don't mind it in a way because I am blessed and fortunate enough to be in this position to make this amount of money where I, am, I have the privilege. I have the privilege to be able to do that. No one likes to pay a lot of taxes, but we do it because we can and not everybody can. So maybe you buy one less dune buggy. Maybe you buy one less fancy car. Maybe you buy one less boat. Maybe you buy one less yacht. Maybe buy one less apartment, one less mansion. But how much money do you really need? Now remember, these are sound bites from this week, just since the last podcast. And all of that's a lie. Big tech, Wall Street, their money's going to Biden. They're betting on the winner because if they give the money, they'll get the hookups. And then you have more pointed. And in the age of BLM and Antifa, which are ideas. And an obscure group that we find out was pushed by Russian and Iranian interference in our election. The Proud Boys that none of you ever heard of, who's now the biggest demon on the street. Yeah, those cats. But in the age of Antifa and BLM, CNN literally says if you re-elect Trump, there'll be more domestic terrorism. Yeah, there will be, because BLM and Antifa will burn shit down. And then Scarborough, you're un-American if you vote for Trump. Okay. You know, I I know there's a lot that come to our viewers in the news and, you know, sometimes crazy things the president says. But but I want to highlight what you just said about the president inciting domestic terrorism, what a sitting Republican member of Congress said in the last hour about the president inciting domestic terrorism, and ask you this question. Because in 15 days, people, well, many people are already casting their votes, but, but Americans have to decide who, who the next president is going to be. If President Trump is reelected, is the threat of domestic terrorism greater as a result of the president's response, his rhetoric, his refusal to accept your recommendations at DHS? I, I think so, yes. I, I, think, I think on the other side of the election, it's going to be tense no matter what, no matter who wins. Uh, I think if you have a Biden presidency, then that tension over time uh, can, can tamp down a bit. I think if you have a, a President Trump for four more years, uh, he is going to continue to... Uh, uh, not condemn and add fuel to the fire of white nationalism, of anti-government extremism, QAnon, uh, you name it. He, if, if they are willing to give him support, he's willing to support them. And it's just going to continue to build uh, this tension that we're all sensing in our country. So all of these people saying, oh, well, you know what? I just don't vote for Democrats. Oh, you know what? I'm just voting for him because of the regulations. Oh, you know, he doesn't. Donald Trump. In the last two weeks of the campaign, 
is raging at his attorney general for not arresting his political opponent. If you're voting for Donald Trump, that's who you're voting for. And if you're voting for that man who two weeks from Election Day is calling for the arrest of his opponent, then you have absolutely no idea what America is about. Let me say it again. You have no idea what this country is about if you are supporting a man who two weeks out yeah. is calling for the arrest of his opponent. You can't, you can't explain that away. You can't explain that away to history. You can't explain that away to your children or grandchildren. You just can't. And you can't plead ignorance because you know better. How anybody could vote for him? I don't care what your ideology is. I don't care what your regulations are. I mean, two weeks out saying that his opponent should be arrested. It is beyond the pale. It is un-American. There's no other way to put it. And you make that great point, Joe, that you don't understand what this country is about if you're going to vote for him. That is unconscionable. If you said the same things about Obama in 2012, if you said the same things about Hillary in 2016, sweet Jesus on a popsicle stick, it would be end of days. But you wonder why we had the violence. We wonder why we have all this division. I'll end the violence before we go into a very short section on the tax and economics. Um, Because I'm not going to go deep dive on this. Because, well, I'll say it when I get to it. Yesterday, we're driving to go junking. And for those that try to get a hold of me, which was quite a few family members in Boston, New York, I'm sorry, I don't bring my phone anymore. Nobody ever calls me. And plus, I went to straight talk, and it's fucking straight garbage. Because I wanted to save money for some reason. I was... I got so sick of fucking Verizon bills. $150 a month for two fucking phones. It's such a ripoff. And I went to Straight Talk because it's 35 bucks a month. I think this is great. Yeah, I have to do the Tommy Boy and Black Sheep to get a fucking signal. It is garbage, so I don't bring it when we drive. And we're driving to go get over on 24 because I live in the sticks. And to get to the highway takes you as long as most of your trips. And a car that is painted BLM slogans... Every time I see somebody destroying their car. Yeah, I got Green Bay Packers stickers on my truck or my Jeep. But I wouldn't paint the whole motherfucker with Packers rule. But anyway, they got everything. Say their names, all this bullshit. Breonna Taylor, blah, 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 blah. And I'm merging on to a connector that gets you over to 24. And I look in the left lane because there's a guy in front of me drunk off his ass. He's hit the curb and the median and the wife goes, get around this guy, and I go to merge. And I look, and there's a car that's all BLM'd about six car lengths behind this Jeep. So I scoot in behind the Jeep, and five seconds later, there's a car on my bumper. They gun to try to block me. Well, I don't think anything of it. But then I notice a swerve, and, you know, I've got my proper two, three car distance of 55, and they try to hit me. So then I get out of the lane, they try to block me. So I go to the left lane, and I jam it to get around this person now, because we're like, hey, we're going to get away from this idiot too. They're hanging out of the car, screaming. So the wife cracks the window, 
And they're calling us all these racial epitaphs and that people like you are why America sucks and you're going to get yours and just un-fucking-hinged. To which, because my wife's on the right side of the car, I slam the brakes. And I let that person go away. Even though I'm packing, well, they're packing, they're going to shoot my fucking wife. And that person was that unhinged. I then watch her do it to two more cars on this 10-mile stretch before we get it. And she's just screaming at people. And I remember the wife and I just, for the next 20 miles of that trip, going, what the fuck is wrong with these people? And then you hear Scarborough, CNN, Nancy Pelosi, Booker, Harris, Every person on the left. This morning when I tuned in to the local news, they're talking about the the debate that's tonight. And they have a Democratic rep on who goes, well, Biden has a plan for that. He definitely will not kill 200,000 Americans. It's just unbelievable what the left gets away with in our country. And once again, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative independent. That's how I classify myself. Because both parties are garbage. But you could never say those words. I'm trying not to say fluke. Because I said it on every fucking podcast. They say Sandra Fluke. But that was the whole election. A radio host called a woman a slut. Not a Republican. Not an actual fucking nominee no a radio host we did a whole election on it we've done whole elections on the coke brothers who were big donors but you can't say soros on twitter and his groups have done more damage to america than the coke brothers ever could Because the left is a bunch of fucking hypocrites. They will say all this stuff, but when you really break it down, they're the ones doing it. They're the ones being violent. They're the ones dividing a country. They say it's Trump and his rancor. No, it's you guys every day constantly saying it is the end of day. Vote for your life. Vote for your fucking life because we're all going to die if Donald Trump gets reelected, those are words that are being said on every TV show, on everything. I mean, I can't even open up the Bleacher Report app without some condescending buttwad reporter tweeting something about, you better get out and early vote because the, the world's going to die. Because that's the only way they can get their people to the polls. Because if their people knew their policies... They wouldn't vote for it. And we've been policy-less. So that's why we go to our first one. Economics and taxes. So to taxes. And once again, this is a regular guy, non-articulate. But I did break out a really good uh, Liga Bravada number nine. Mm. I was supposed to be on a beach a week ago. So I bought a gift box of Liga Pravada number nine cigars, which is my favorite cigars. They have a flying pig. Oh, 
it's so good. They don't make them anymore. And I had a box and I made it last like two years. Um, and just did it for special occasions. So I had three cigars left and I saved it for this podcast, which was supposed to be a week from now, but I decided to knock it out now. So instead of breaking out a million fucking pieces of paperwork and showing you story after story, let's just talk about taxes for a second. Yeah. If you're a simpleton, you go to your tax return and you go, Trump fucked me because I didn't get a big tax return. Those motherfuckers took my money. The media and liberals actually got away with that stupid shit. But if you have an IQ above a motherfucking potato, you understand why, right? Because you got more money each month. They didn't take as much. And everybody, New York Times, WAPO, HuffPo, other Poe's, liberals, H&R motherfucking block had to admit every person got a tax cut. It's like living in Bush world again, where we just fucking lie. We just make shit the fuck up. It's not true. Under the Biden tax cut, they keep saying the 400000 But really, I want you to think. They want to do, and we're covering it today briefly, because it's a rabbit hole that I've only gone down once on this show, and it scared me. It scared me so bad, I was in a fetal position in my safe space. Yeah. Me, a safe space. I found one. It scared the fuck out of me. The Green New Deal. All these policies. Free college. Free cheese. Free free. What the fuck you think this guy's been talking about? So if he's talking about free free, who the fuck's paying for that, Chuck? You and I. It's got to be the middle class. You can't tax the rich enough to pay for all their programs. You can't do it. It's not possible. It's insanely impossible. So they have to raise taxes. They have to cut defense spending. And when you get done cutting defense spending, you still can't pay for it. It's like $9 trillion for some of the Green New Deal. Still doesn't cover the cow farts. So of course your taxes are going to go up. If you vote for him, once again, Dan Crenshaw, this entire podcast, Dan fucking Crenshaw, listen to what the fuck they're saying and believe him, Chuck. He says, I'm going to raise your goddamn taxes. He's raising them. It's just exponentially at the 400,000, but they can't pay for it with $400,000 above. How many motherfuckers, you know, make $400,000? Seriously, think about it. No, I don't know anybody. So there's shit, ain't a lot of people making 400K. So taxes across the board, you're going to pay more. And then the Wall Street Journal did an incredible article on it. I am not going to break it down. I'm just going to read a cliff note. They undercut liberal narrative demolishes Bidenomics. Hint, it most definitely is not well grounded in mainstream economics, as New York Times economist Paul Krugman would have people believe. In an editorial headline, The Cost of Bidenomics, the editorial board wrote the Democrat presidential nominee, Biden, has shrewdly kept the campaign focus on COVID-19 and Trump, which has helped him avoid having to talk much about his own policies. Jesus, did I say that? Just fat guy in a basement? Yeah, I said it. <clears throat> However, 
That's especially true of his economic proposals, which a new study out Sunday from the Hoover Institute shows will have a damaging impact impact on growth, job creation, and household income. The editorial revealed one of the big findings from the study, specifically Biden tax health care energy regulation proposals would lead to $6,500 less in median household income by 2030. But there were many more devastating details that drilled a hole in the logic of those pushing binomics like Krugman. Specifically, according to the study cited in the editorial, Biden's plan, if fully implemented, will reduce full-time equivalent employment per person by about 3% and cut the capital stock per person by some 15%. Even more jaw-dropping was that the plan would reduce real GDP per capita by a whopping 8 percent compared to the congressional budget opposite estimate for these variables in 2030 this mean means there would be a 4.9 million fewer working americans 2.6 trillion less in gdp and 6500 less in median household income Biden's plan would also raise labor costs by imposing a 12.4% Social Security payroll tax because they want to go Medicare for all. Where the fuck do you think that shit comes from, Chuck? Above 400000 according to the journal. The 400000 threshold is an index for inflation, so it would apply to ever more Americans as the years go by. The journal even took aim at financial institutions like Moody's Analytic, which have tried to bolster Biden's economic agenda. The journal editorial bowl stated these institutions have a skeptical Keynesian bias when they're making their estimate. Keynesian is a fancy guy, but we'll just say a liberal bias. Because that's really what it is. And if you really want to break it down to simpleton, why do you think the economy took off? Was it Obama's plans that made it all take off? No, it was deregulation. How do you think the left operates? All right, let's just do a simple example. You don't get money unless you have tranny bathrooms in kindergarten. That's just one case. They, they're not like Republicans who wield power sparingly. The left comes in with a fucking lightsaber of fucking wokeness. And everything they touch becomes woke. They penalize you. All the Obama energy shit penalized most of our energy. Because our fucking energy is coal produced. In the south, you don't have a lot of rivers. You can't fucking dam the Mississippi. So you have coal-fired generators making your electricity. That's why your your fucking energy bill went up because your electricity bill went up because they were putting penalties on that shit. Electric companies had by a certain time to get coal scrubbers. They had to refit every goddamn fucking generator they have. And if you live in the South, you see a lot of steam plants. Yeah, that's your electricity, Chuck. They burn coal and fucking make a lot of fucking carbon. But they'll do it on everything. Their plans cost money. Where do they get the money? You, not them. And clearly not their base who's getting all the free free. 
But the regulations under Obama got stripped away. The economy took off. Small business took off. Black unemployment was the lowest ever. Hispanic unemployment was the lowest ever. It was good shit. That's why Jason Whitlock's doing fucking podcast with Trump and a lot of black men who are going, yeah. I mean, 50 cents, folks. No Republican. I don't want to be 20 cents. So I'm voting for Biden. His words, not me. His economics is a horror show because it isn't based on what's best for America or Americans. It is best for their politics and power. I mean, I'll end because I don't want to spend all day on this because we have a lot of fucking subjects. How the fuck are we going to pay for 11 million illegals becoming legal and all of them getting health care? How? Who's paying for that? Do you, did you think Medicare for all, which sounds so great, but it's really military fucking medicine, which is a bottle of Motrin for everything? Hey, doctor, I got these intestines hanging out my ass. Here's a fucking Motrin. That's military, folks. I live it. How do you think we're going to pay for that shit? Of course it's coming through taxes. I mean, Obama company increased my premium by 50% during the you can keep your doctor in your policy if you want to hope he change he lies that's not a scandal to this day he didn't lie it's a nightmare because it isn't about the economy it's not even about fucking building a strong economy it's about making everything liberal and encapsulating it in a power grab like nothing we've ever seen. Because they're the fascists. You will be punished unless you do what the fuck we say. That's just not for me in my basement. It's for businesses. It's for everything. You don't get a goddamn opinion. And my last point, and then we're moving on to the, one of the biggest reasons why I went fucking cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs on Biden. Watch the lockdown. Watch how they handled COVID. Initially, you're a racist piece of shit if you don't think Chinese people should be able to fly here. You're a racist, xenophobic cumball if you do not go to Chinese Lunar New Year. Three weeks later, He lied. People died. He should have stopped the motherfucker sooner. Nancy Pelosi shelves her policy and her bill to stop him from stopping travel. And then they weaponize that shit. And it becomes the fascist starter kit on how far can we make motherfuckers do what we say. And then when they started getting it, you get Whitmer. Supreme Court of her state says, you can't do that. Go fuck yourself. I do what I want. I'm a queen motherfucking Newsome out there. You better eat but in your mask. Between bites, put that fucking mask back on. Somebody comes over to your house for Thanksgiving, you're fucking going to the stockade. Don't you think they're going to do that for everything else when they have supreme power? Are, are you smoking fucking toilet bowl cleaner? That was just the beginning, boys and girls. And it will hit every fucking part of your financial life. 
We are truly fucking screwed. Financially, the moment he takes over, or as is, well, wait a minute. Her husband said, I'm married to the next, I guess when Harris takes over. It's all over. Got it from Matt in Oregon. Thank you. Because I had seen the soundbite. I was going to play it on the show. But I'll just say it. He said it. Really, we're getting Harris. She's less qualified than fucking Obama is. Next subject. Oh, guns. You know, semi-automatic weapons are not just about gun control. This is about national security. You know that these weapons can shoot down airplanes. <clears throat> they can blow up air- railroads. In February, you introduced the Assault Weapons Ban and Law Enforcement Protection Act of 2007. It would regulate semi-automatic assault weapons, including weapons that have pistol grips, a forward grip, and something called a barrel shroud. Weapons with a barrel shroud would be regulated. What's a barrel shroud, and why should we regulate it? I actually don't know what a barrel oh, shroud is. Okay, because it's in your it's a legislation. Shoulder thing that goes up. But some of these bullets, as you saw, have an incendiary device on the tip of it, which is a heat-seeking device. We have federal regulations and state laws that prohibit hunting ducks with more than three rounds, and yet it's legal to hunt humans. I think the Second Amendment is in the Constitution so that we can have muskets when uh, the British people come over in 1800. There's been a lot of people that have been shot by an unloaded gun. At some point, we as a country will have to reckon with the fact that this type of mass violence does not happen in other advanced countries. This is a ghost gun. This right here has ability with a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets within half a second. And I cannot tell you how many times we have been fearful of letting our animals out because all of these law-abiding citizens are shooting back and forth in front of our house and behind our house and around us. Why you can walk down the streets in an American city carrying a concealed weapon without a license is wacky. I well, don't I didn't say without it. a license. I think, yeah, I think. I'm you talking, would. but that's what's going on. I'm talking about a different point here. No, people, I want to see people disarmed. Permits. They actually I have want to, people they have disarmed in our major through, major uh, cities. How's that for a plan? The pair of you that's would like there. to have the right to have a tank, and you don't agree because with it. Now you're committing straw man. The president of Obama proposes to gun control, and you know something? It makes me sick when I hear people say that kind of thing. If you want to protect yourself, get a double-barrel shotgun, as I told my wife. I said, Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony here, or walk out, put that double-barrel shotgun, and fire two blasts. That's just a short montage of the left talking about guns. And if you think they're not coming after guns, once again, put down the tidy bowl cleaner and stop huffing that shit. They made fucking shirts. Hell yeah, I'm taking your shit. Remember Beto? You got Bloomberg spending millions of his own money to take guns. Just like everything else in our fucking country, you, you can't have an abortion debate using 
actual facts about how many people we board each year. We use Planned Parenthood. So for guns, you use every town where BB gun shootings are shootings around schools and so on. It's inflated. So of course, a Democrat-run society is going after guns. And I could go on all day about this. I could play all sorts of sound bites of them saying these weapons of war. And, you know, it all changed. It went to weapons of war. They don't need to be on our streets. And people saying they're automatic. And we need to ban magazines and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's like a whole podcast. All I got to do is read one bill. H.R. 5717, 116th Congress, 2019 to 20. Here is one summary for H.R. 5717. Gun Violence Prevention and Community Safety Act of 2020. This bill makes various changes to the federal framework governing the sale, transfer, and possession of firearms and ammunition. Among other things, the bill does the following. Now understand, for some of you who are new to the show, you haven't heard me read, read this because I've read it before, You just heard an historic event happen today. Democrats passed a sweeping gun reform bill. And just like Biden economics and everything else, they didn't talk about what was in the bill because they knew American people were not fucking for it. And then they went on to say the NRA is horrible. And NRA makes fucking AR weapons. that, Like right now, next to me on the wall is a loaded AR on safe. And it gets up every once in a while and goes and shoots motherfuckers. Because the NRA has that power over that. I mean, that whole argument just makes my fucking undies in a bunch. And I don't even wear fucking wear undies. I know that's too much information. But I don't wear undies. And they get in a bunch because the reality is the NRA puts about $10 million in an election cycle. But PPFA puts about $50 million into election cycle. And our narrative is the NRA owns Washington. The problem with the PPFA money is we gave it to them, $650 million a year, so they can chop shop babies. I'm going to talk a little abortion and everything because I didn't put it as a subject. I'm trying to keep this non-secular, you know, because I could go religious for an hour on abortion. I'm just playing one soundbite because that's all I got to do later on in the show. But it's not one of the dun-dun soundbite freaking subjects. But the NRA is the devil. Every time there's a shooting, we talk about the NRA. It is just like Rush Limbaugh. Not an elected official. There's no Republicans running around really talking about a whole lot of guns. Republicans have abandoned us, to be quite honest. Normals. Just abandoned us. During the whole woke summer of carnage and all this crazy shit the left wants to do, there's nobody getting on TV because I think they're scared. And they don't want the beat down. So they're not talking about this shit. But back to the bill. Generally requires individuals to obtain a license to purchase, acquire, possess a firearm or ammunition. So that's a national license program. So they know where you are. Now, once again, I've argued both sides of this on the show through the almost 500 podcasts we've done over almost five fucking years. They know where we are because we fill out a 4473. When you buy a weapon, you put your address on it. But the system is, as of the NICS, 
They search the serial number. They go to the manufacturer. The manufacturer goes to the broker. The broker goes to the gun store. The gun store pulls out the 4473 and says, Tony Reed has a black diamond AR. Because I bought it in my name, but it was actually for my wife. Tony Reed has a 9mm. Tony Reed has this gun. Tony Reed has that gun. Tony Reed has this gun. That's how they find out. So they already know how to get to where you are. But this is a gun register. They know exactly what it is. And nobody's ever required people to have a license to buy ammo. But this goes in line with the left theory. You're not doing what we want. You own weapons. Weapons are evil. We're going to punish you. And we're going to make you pay money every fucking time you do what we don't want you to do. Raises the minimum age from 18 to 21 to purchase firearms and ammunition now. So it used to be a rifle at 18, pistol at 21. Now everything's 21 and ammunition. Establishes a new background check requirement for firearm transfers between private parties. Once again, I have sold weapons to my son. The AR that I have upstairs is my shooting rig. It's a freaking fantastic gun. It was $800 in parts. Boss in New York, thanks for that gun because that was the one bonus I got working with uh, U.S. Calvary. And I took my my mom, my wife said, it's your money, honey. So I went out and literally bought an AR and had it built. It was $800 in parts. It's a fantastic gun. The guy had an FFL. He could sell weapons, but it's kind of a private sale because it wasn't a company. And we did not do a background check because he's a private company. So he sold me the gun as him to me. That's how he did it. Gone. I want to sell my gun. Like I'm thinking about selling one of my ARs because we don't need two ARs. I got to go down to a gun shop, pay $25 for a Nix. And whatever licensing fee they're going to come up with. And then whatever the fucking store wants to charge me for the fee of doing this sale. See it? Punish. You want guns? Oh, we're going to punish you. Requires law enforcement agencies to be notified following a firearms-related background check that results in a denial. Here's the problem with that, Chuck. We already have all sorts of laws for gun crimes and possessing a firearm and felons with a firearm. Barack Hussein Obama said that was a racist and let all sorts of those motherfuckers out of jail at the end of his time in office the left doesn't enforce any of these fucking laws they just like making new laws to say they made a new law so their base will keep fucking voting for them but we already have laws for that you don't enforce it there's no teeth because we're still doing catch and release for most of this shit because it's racist or covid or something um, require, uh, creates a statutory process for a family or household member to petition a court for extreme risk protection order to remove firearms from an individual poses a risk of committing violence. Restrict the import, sale, manufacture, transfer, or possession of semi-automatic assault weapons and large capacity ammunition feeding devices. Restricts the manufacture, sale, transfer, purchase, or receipt of ghost guns. It's already illegal, but okay. 
makes trafficking and firearm a standalone criminal offense, requires federally licensed gun dealers to submit and annually certify compliance with a security plan to detect and deter firearm theft, remove limitation and civil liberty of gun manufacturers so that when the guy goes and shoots up the baseball field, we don't talk about how he's a Bernie bro and he had an assassination list and that's pretty violent and it probably came from Trump's rhetoric. That's what CNN said. We say, well, Ruger is liable because he wanted to kill a bunch of Republicans because of Trump. That's how that conversation will go. Yeah, it makes no fucking sense. It's circular logic. It's, it's how they are. Allows the Consumer Product Safety Commission to issue safety standards for firearms and firearm components, establishes a community violence intervention grant program, and promotes research on firearm safety and gun violence prevention. Not worded in here, in the fine print, no grandfather for that assault rifle. You just can't possess it. They just go away. The community community compliance division or whatever the fucking fuck they're calling their police force now. They're just going to show up at your house. Give me your shit. And the same sentence that Beto O'Rourke, he's one of the leading people on this, was losing his fucking little fucking underoos on. He said the police are evil. Well, they're going to go take the guns. And a reporter literally asked, why? I mean, what the fuck? If you don't trust the police, how are they really going to do it? Oh, they'll do this. Because we told them to. It goes really in theme with the taxes, folks. You do what they don't want. They're going to punish you. They're going to make you fucking pay. And so you can really understand it deep down. It doesn't matter where you are. You're going to pay 25 fucking dollars for a background check on top of ammo that they're now going to tax hire. So by the time you're done, that's why I have 1,200 rounds of 9 mil sitting behind me and 1,500 rounds of 5.56. I went and bought it. Is it because I'm going to start a white supremacist camp? No. I like to shoot. But until Biden's out of office, I won't be able to afford that. The average price of a bullet will triple, some reports are saying. A bullet. And even when I bought the last batch of 509 mil, it took a month to get it. I was on a waiting list all over the country. I got this from LA Firearms. Never even heard of it. So taking the guns was a huge thing. Because if you look at a fascist or institution, the first thing they do is disarm you so they can control you. They talk about Hitler all the fucking time. I won't, but I'll just say many fascist regimes, the first thing they did is disarm their citizenry. And since we're talking re-education camps under their truth and conciliation bullshit that's all over the place that any Trump supporter needs to fucking have a moment of reckoning, and maybe we do need to send some of these Trump supporters to classes so they can fix themselves. That's just a few steps from, okay, well, 
we need to take over your life because you're just not good enough. You don't think like us. Plus, our segue and our next subject, reimagining police. Whatever the fuck that means. Well, a month ago, abolish the police was a demand you only heard muttered by crazy people, people mad at their parents. Now it's a major political movement. Democrats are endorsing it. They've rephrased it. Reimagine policing. The folks in law enforcement that share the goals of reimagining policing. Reimagining policing in the 21st century. Rethinking and reimagining policing. Community efforts to reimagine policing. To reimagine policing. We have to reimagine what policing looks like. Reimagining policing, reimagining our public safety. Reimagine a citizen led approach. You can begin to reimagine law enforcement. Reimagine public safety in this country. What can we do to reimagine public safety? Reimagining public safety. To reimagine public safety. We must reimagine what public safety looks like. These people are such mindless robots. You must reimagine what safety looks like. In other words, you must accept being much less safe, bigot. Our great senators. Hi, Chuck. He used to love me when I was a Democrat, you know. <laughs> they are fucking mindless robots. It is just unbelievable that, that that's how that rolled. I mean, it started with defund the cat got out of the bag the instantly talking points i mean i've said it on the show i am so envious as a human being of the ability of the left just to package a turd i mean under obama he literally could come out and say it was a turd and there'd be a little bit of pushback and the media the democrats twitter social media didn't fucking matter Every editorial board in America would say it's a golden turd. And most of America would take a bite out of that turd and say, oh, it's golden. And there were still people on the side going, no, it's a fucking turd. You're eating shit. But they could package it. I mean, they're just really good. Hope and change. Everybody bought that bullshit. What changed? Oh, we became more divisive. And at the time, I remember telling people, go to his website. Can you find a spot on there for you? Because there wasn't. Every micro fucking demo. And then in those telling you to hate the other demos. It's Saul Alinsky. Divide and conquer. If we're all divided, we're all stuck in our little place. If we got us people on the highway calling us racist pieces of shit because we drove and they didn't like that because we're white, they win. That's how they win. And though we've covered it on the show, I'm going to briefly cover it again. It's all alive. Washington Post. 27 to 2020. 457 fucking people in 17. White. 223. Black. Every metric down. You go all the way down through everything. 142 in 2020. 
287 whites shot by police. When you then get into the unarmed, it isn't even close. It's totally a lie. You go to Chicago, 75% of murdered are black in the city, and 71% of the murderers are black also. Fatal force, 999 people were shot and killed by police in 2019. The majority white. They try to break it and make it look like, oh, it's a it's a, a pandemic. It's like the transgender genocide that's supposedly happening because 18 people got killed in America and most of them by their spouse. But it's white people. And in the same instances that the black people get shot, it's white people not doing what the fuck they're told and pulling weapons. The unarmed is so small of a demographic within this where they accidentally shoot or the person comes at them and they can't physically do anything or whatever but it's all a lie race and homicide in america u.s news the entire thing it is blacks killed by whites 100 uh you go from zero one to 15 it is around 150 to 200. Whites killed by blacks, 475 up to 600 during that time period. Overall, killing of blacks by whites and whites by blacks count for about 12% of the roughly 6,000 homicides last year in which police had information about. But when you break it down... It is blacks being killed by blacks, not white people. Whites are not killing blacks. Blacks are killing whites, but the major statistic that nobody wants to talk about is that blacks are killing blacks at a genocidal level. And every once in a while, we played a soundbite on the show of a black preacher Or a black figure saying, what the fuck? Our media, on the other hand, spends all their time going, it is just so heartbreaking that those people have to have the talk. Well, they're having the wrong talk. The talk should be the same talk I had with my son. Hey, if you get pulled over, do what the fuck you're told. That should be the cop talk and the talk african-americans if i may be so bold and this will be racist but who gives a fuck because i'm already being told i'm racist just because of my skin color and the fact that i live in america and because it's fucking thursday i'm racist so it doesn't really matter i guess the talk they should be having is be careful of this part of town because there's a lot of thugs Hey, who is that boy you're with? Is he in a gang? Is he selling drugs? Is he stealing shit? And guess what? That's the same conversation whites have with their kids. I don't want you about fucking Frito over there. Because Frito's a douche. But no, they have the, you can't, you're black. You're getting killed in America by cops for being black. No, you're not. No, you're not. 
If that talk was valid, then why aren't whites having it with their white kids? Anybody? So, all of this LE bullshit then spawns BLM. And I saved this from when I did it on the show. It's Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire. BLM narrative versus reality a thread. Narrative. Breonna Taylor was murdered in her sleep when cops bust in the door without knocking. Reality? Nope. She was awake. The cops did knock and announce themselves and let her boyfriend shot first. And her boyfriend shot first. Narrative. Jacob Blake was unarmed and shot by cops while trying to get into his car after stopping to break up a fight. Reality? Nope. Blake was harassing his alleged rape victim was armed with a knife and was reaching into his ex-girlfriend's car, which he was stealing. Narrative, Dion K. was an unarmed child shot in the back by cops. Reality, nope. He was a legal adult, a known gang member, and shot in the chest while running towards officers with his gun drawn. Narrative, George Floyd was a law-abiding pillar of the community who was choked to death by cops for no reason. Reality, nope. Floyd was a violent felon, high on a lethal dose of narcotic, fentanyl-laced meth, which he swallowed to avoid a charge, who died from cardiac arrest while being restrained after resisting arrest. That's the spawn of all this evil. Narrative, Ricardo Munoz was a mentally disabled man randomly gunned down outside his mother house. Reality? Nope. He was trying to break into his mother's house and got shot because he chased after an officer with a butcher's knife. Michael Brown narrative was a gentle giant murdered in cold blood while raising his hands and yelling, don't shoot. Reality, nope. Brown was a violent criminal who assaulted a cop and tried to steal his gun minutes after robbing a store and assaulting the cashier. But yeah, let's keep taking these people serious. Folks, boss in New York caught it, and I was going to cover it on the last show, but I couldn't get it in for time. Amazon suppressing a documentary that shows this was all bullshit. It was just all bullshit. Michael Brown's entire story was a lie. It was fabricated by a, a, a freaking friend on the street, a cousin or whoever the fuck that guy was. It was all a lie. But during this, and I put this in here on purpose, all that's happened on our streets, and oh yeah, there's sound bites coming, boys and girls. Trump ordered malts during a classified intelligent briefing. The Hill, yesterday. He ordered malts. That's a story. Not that every fucking facet of every fucking say their name you need to say their name is a lie it's all a lie all of it's a lie it's all manufactured it's not based in any kind of reality but with the media we went crazy so i'm gonna do a just a position Number one is going to be the super clip of the media saying 
mostly peaceful protest, most of them standing in front of Burning Billion. I'm going to play Heather McDonald. I'm sorry for those that have been on the show a lot. I play it a lot. Whenever one of these cases happen, I play it because it totally destroys the theory that cops are racist. It's science and shit and math and all the fact stuff, but it's just the wrong truth because we're not about truth. We're about narrative. So here they are, back to back. I I, I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is mostly a protest. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not generally speaking unruly. But fires have been started, and and first thing I want to make perfectly clear: this has been almost entirely peaceful. In fact, completely peaceful. It's been a mostly peaceful protest, but then they chose to move in. Uh, Many of these protests have been largely peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm looking at those live pictures next to you, and they seem very peaceful. There are always folks on the fringes of protests that do the things that uh, we don't we don't like. A few people who break a few windows and burn a few cars. They just threw something on fire, Chris, a firecracker. No one should be destructing uh, property and that sort of thing. But I understand the anger. Discount people who are doing things to public property that that they shouldn't be doing. It does have to be understood that this city has got, uh, for the last several years, an issue with police. So many good people out there who want change and who are demanding change. Our country was started because this is how the Boston Tea Party, rioting. So don't do not get it twisted and think that oh this is some something that has not never happened before and then this is so terrible and where are we and these savages and all of that this is how this country was started. Does the truth matter not to groups like Black Lives Matter? That's tragic for many reasons, not the least of which is that black lives are being lost as a result. When it comes to the subject of American police, blacks, and the deadly use of force, here is what we know. A recent deadly force study by Washington State University researcher Lois James found that police officers were less likely to shoot unarmed black suspects than unarmed white or Hispanic ones in simulated threat scenarios. Harvard economics professor Roland Fryer analyzed more than 1,000 officer-involved shootings across the country. He concluded that there is zero evidence of racial bias in police shootings. In Houston, he found that blacks were 24% less likely than whites to be shot by officers, even though the suspects were armed or violent. Does the truth matter? An analysis of the Washington Post's police shooting database and of federal crime statistics reveals that fully 12% of all whites and Hispanics who die of homicide are killed by cops. By contrast, only 4% of black homicide victims are killed by cops. But isn't it a sign of bias that blacks make up 26% of police shooting victims, but only 13% of the national population? It is not, and common sense suggests why. Police shootings occur more frequently where officers confront armed or violently resisting suspects. Those suspects are disproportionately black. According to the most recent study by the Department of Justice, 
Although blacks were only about 15% of the population in the 75 largest counties in the U.S., they were charged with 62% of all robberies, 57% of murders, and 45% of assaults. In New York City, blacks commit over three-quarters of all shootings, though they are only 23% of the city's population. Whites, by contrast, commit under 2% of all shootings in the city, though they are 34% of the population. New York's crime disparities are repeated in virtually every racially diverse city in America. The real problem facing inner-city black communities today is not the police, but criminals. In 2014, over 6,000 blacks were murdered, more than all white and Hispanic homicide victims combined. Who is killing them? Not the police and not white civilians, but other blacks. In fact, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. If the police ended all use of lethal force tomorrow, it would have a negligible impact on the black death by homicide rate. In Chicago, through just the first six and a half months of 2016, over 2,300 people were shot. That's a shooting an hour during some weekends. The vast majority of the victims were black. During the same period, the Chicago police shot 12 people, all armed and dangerous. That's one half of 1% of all shootings. Does the truth matter? If it does, here's a truth worth pondering. There is no government agency more dedicated to the proposition that black lives matter than the police. The proactive policing revolution that began in the mid-1990s has dramatically brought down the inner city murder rate and saved tens of thousands of black lives. Unfortunately, that crime decline is now in jeopardy. As I write in my book, The War on Cops, police officers are backing off of proactive policing in black neighborhoods thanks to the false narrative that police officers are infected with homicidal bias. As a result, violent crime is going up. In cities with large black populations, homicides in 2015 rose anywhere from 54% in Washington, D.C. to 90% in Cleveland. Overall, in the nation's 56 largest cities, homicides in 2015 rose 17%, a nearly unprecedented one-year spike. Many law-abiding residents of high-crime areas beg the police to maintain order, precisely the type of policing that the ACLU, progressive politicians, and the Obama Justice Department denounce as racist. This is tragic because when the police refrain from proactive policing, black lives are lost, lost because of a myth. The best research and data reach this conclusion. There is no evidence that police are killing blacks just because they're black. You now have the truth. Does it matter? I'm Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute for Prager University. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, click here. To help keep our videos free, donate here. That's how we get all this violence. 
You really go into the Ferguson effect. You break down everything we've talked about on this show. You play the Antifa sound bites from Project Veritas. You play the Bernie Bro sound bites from Project Veritas, where they're literally saying, "Hey, we're gonna burn this shit down." It's fucking unbelievable that we have no facts. We have a media that's part of one party, and they will do anything. To spin it. They even got to the point where you had Lemon go, this is hurting in the polls. And for one week, they took out the, hey, yeah, we're going to blame Trump. We're going to blame Trump. That's the way we're going to do it. Because, you know, makes sense. It works for everything else we're doing. Blame Trump. It's his rhetoric. And it's his fault. And this, that, the other. They, They just aren't based on reality. So to close this section... And to go into our criminal reform, it was really hard to pick the best Tucker Carlson one. I could play how, literally, BLM is a political party now, but I'm just going to play my favorite one he did. It's 12 minutes long of him fucking talking about terrorists are tearing our cities apart. And then we'll go into bail reform, which is one thing I wanted to push because it's coming it's coming nationwide. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Picture this. You're sitting eating dinner in a restaurant with some of your friends on a Friday night. You're deep into conversation when in the distance you hear shouting. You look up and you see a group of demonstrators walking down the street yelling and holding flags that say Black Lives Matter. The group is loud, but you don't have a problem with what you think they are saying. Of course, black lives matter. You agree with that completely. It seems obvious to you. You're against racism. You've never mistreated anyone because of his race. You're not a bad person. So at first, it doesn't occur to you that this mob of angry people might be angry at you. Why would they be? But then suddenly the mob is there at your table, screaming in your face, throwing chairs, smashing glasses, sweeping cutlery to the floor, threatening to kill you. Within seconds, you're running for your life. That happens in our country now. It happened this weekend in Rochester. Here's what it looked like. people eating dinner in Rochester do wrong? No one ever said. No one ever does. Or how about this elderly couple in Pittsburgh? They tried to get something to drink at an outdoor cafe over the weekend. Watch what happened.
you, old man, screams the BLM protester and gives him the finger. A female protester strides up and guzzled the, the old woman's drink. Why? Because she can. The ultimate humiliation. So what exactly did the elderly couple do to deserve the abuse you just saw? What was their crime? If you listen to BLM, you know the answer. They live in America. They work and pay taxes. They support a system that systematically murders people. In effect, they're war criminals, guards in the world's largest concentration camp. That's BLM's position. Increasingly, it is the position of the Democratic Party and the position of our compliant news media. You hear it everywhere. What's amazing is how cynical it is. People who say this don't even pretend to believe it. They ignore their own slogans. If you really thought America was a white supremacist dystopia, a place where people of color get murdered just for going outdoors, as the Democratic platform suggests is true, then you probably wouldn't encourage millions of non-white immigrants to move here. You'd be too worried about their safety. Bringing in people from Africa, for example, would be tantamount to premeditated murder. You wouldn't want that on your conscience. Of course, in real life, it's all fake. The opposite is true, in fact. Africans thrive in this country. Nigerian immigrants to the United States earn more money on average than native-born Americans. Nigerian immigrants are also more likely to get college degrees than people who grew up here. If what BLM is telling us is true, how could this happen? Well, because they're lying. For the overwhelming majority of lower-income Americans, melanin is not the main barrier to advancement. Education and social class are. For poor people, the main problem is money. It always has been. They don't have enough of it. Their kids have even less. This is pretty obvious if you think about it or if you look at the numbers. But a ruling class doesn't want you to think about it. They don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to talk about economics because they fear it might cost them something. So instead, they promote race conflict in order to divert our attention from their theft. These riots have very little to do with racial oppression. Look at who's rioting. Do they look oppressed to you? Last week, the NYPD arrested a group of people at a demonstration held by a group called the New African Black Panther Party. That's African with a K to suggest maximum revolutionary fervor. Here on the screen, you'll see the mugshots of the people who got arrested in New York. The first thing you'll notice, while they were representing what they called the New African Black Panther Party, none of these people is African. They look like affluent American kids, in fact, and indeed they are. One of them is the daughter of an architect and a child psychiatrist in Manhattan. She's got a second home in Connecticut. Another is a fine arts major who used to work for Pepsi. His last known address was a high-income neighborhood in Florida. Another one of the rioters spent his summers jetting back and forth to Europe. Another has a modeling contract. Yet another is a student at a place called Sarah Lawrence University. That's a holding pen for the dimmer offspring of our leadership class. That school costs almost $60,000 a year. If you go online, you can find pictures of this young committed revolutionary singing show tunes at her local yacht club on Long Island. So these kids are not impressed. It's likely none of them have ever met an oppressed person, except maybe on junior year abroad. So why are they breaking things and hurting people? Because they've been brainwashed into hating our country and hating themselves by a corrupt education establishment. They're also decadent and bored, like so many pampered children. After half a year of authoritarian lockdowns, they're looking for something more interesting to do than getting high and watching Netflix. And also, for many of them, underneath it all, they are frustrated, and rightly so, by vanishing economic opportunity. They sense correctly they will never be as successful as their parents' generation. For them, the American dream has died, so they no longer believe in America. All of that combined probably accounts for the radicalism you're watching. 
But we don't need to know that because we don't need to understand why rioters riot in order to oppose rioting. We should always oppose rioting, no matter what its justification. These are the forces of chaos and destruction. They're working to tear down our country. That's all we need to know. If we care about our families and our civilization, about the future of our descendants, we have got to fight them like everything depended on it, because everything does depend on it. Quote, when compared with the suppression of anarchy, Teddy Roosevelt once told the Congress, every other question sinks into insignificance. The anarchist is the enemy of humanity, the enemy of all mankind. His is a deeper degree of criminality than any other. Roosevelt wrote that in 1908. It was just seven years after an anarchist assassinated the president of the United States, William McKinley. He was Roosevelt's running mate. In some ways, 1908 isn't so different a period in American history as the one we're living through right now. In 1908, America was fast becoming an unstable country. Mass immigration had made the society far less cohesive. New technology completely upended the way people lived and the way they worked. There was a recession underway in 1908, coupled with high unemployment. People were angry at the banks, at big business, angry at capitalism itself. And there was also racial unrest. During one race riot in 1908 in Springfield, Illinois, mobs burned buildings and attacked citizens in their homes. More than a dozen people died. 1908 was a chaotic moment, so not surprisingly, some people became radical. They called themselves anarchists. They believed in violence. In February of that year, an anarchist shot a priest to death during communion at church in Denver. He cited no reason for doing it. He just said he hated Christianity. A few weeks later, another anarchist tried to assassinate the chief of police of Chicago at his home. Later that month, anarchists staged a deadly riot in a park in Manhattan. One of them threw a bomb at police officers. Quote, I came to the park to kill police, he later said. I hate them. Throughout 1908, there was at least one anarchist bombing every month of the year in the city of New York. Sound familiar to you? Then, as now, the radical left leveraged economic anxiety to force their program on America. Anarchists attacked cops and clergy and public buildings precisely because these were the symbols of permanence and authority. They were the symbols of power greater than the mob, so they must be destroyed. The anarchist goal was to topple the nation itself. Teddy Roosevelt knew that. He understood that systems that tolerate anarchy don't last long. If mobs are allowed to attack the police, why do I have to pay taxes? Why do I have to obey traffic laws? Or for that matter, obey the FDA or the EPA or the local health department or anyone else who claims to be in charge? People quickly start thinking like that when anarchists are allowed to have their way. And why wouldn't they think like that? Once they do, things fall apart fast. Society itself was at stake in 1908, as it is now, and Teddy Roosevelt understood it. Our leaders, Democratic leaders, don't understand that. Or more likely, they don't care. Chaos serves their purposes. Consider Barack Obama. Obama is a smart man. He's a very gifted speaker. Many people found him inspiring, and it's understandable why. But when the fog lifted after Obama's eight years in office, what was left? A dying middle class a nation more radically divided by race and by income, a population so hostile to their political leaders that they elected Donald Trump president. By any measure, Barack Obama left a wake of destruction behind him. In the end, one of the relatively few who prospered was Barack Obama himself. Obama and his wife became unimaginably wealthy, legitimately rich, with huge estates in different parts of the country. 
Where did Barack Obama get all that money? No one asks. We're too busy hating each other. Obama stokes that hatred because it helps him. Here he is at the Democratic convention this summer. Americans of all races joining together to declare in the face of injustice and brutality at the hands of the state that black lives matter. No more, but no less. To the young people who led us this summer, telling us we need to be better, in so many ways, you are this country's dreams fulfilled. The young people who led us this summer. It's hard to believe Barack Obama said that. Obama has an internet connection. He sees the news. He knows that the same young leaders he is promoting on stage burned buildings, looted stores, murdered people. Obama is smart enough to know that what the mobs are doing isn't bringing people together, just the opposite. Riots don't heal wounds, they create them. The violence that Barack Obama's youth brigades have unleashed on this country, if anything, increased racial bigotry and distrust. The riots have certainly accelerated residential segregation as higher income people flee the racially diverse cities for sedate monochromatic destinations like Martha's Vineyard, where, by the way, Barack Obama himself lives. Like any good arsonist, Obama was sure to exit the building before he lit the fire. Someday, Obama and many leaders like him may flee farther than that. An island off the coast of Massachusetts won't be far enough. They'll be in Switzerland by then or Austria or New Zealand or somewhere where they won't have to live with the consequences of the society that they created. But for the rest of us who plan to stay, we have no choice. We have to fight. Anarchism goes by many names. Right now, it's called Antifa and BLM. But the poison is always the same, and the consequences of imbibing it never change. If we're going to survive as a country, we must defeat this. Nicole Maliotakis currently serves in the legislature in New York State. She's now running for Congress from Staten Island and Brooklyn. She's been on this show a lot. We think she's sensible. She joins us tonight. Nicole, thanks so much for coming on. Thank and you. Nice to see you on set, by the way. So this idea, which we're, some of us are apt to dismiss out of hand, let people vote from their prison cells, why exactly is it a bad idea? Well, to be honest, it actually makes sense for New York because in many ways, this legislative session has been all about putting criminals before law-abiding citizens. And if you look yes. at the long list of policies that they've passed uh, this year from completely revamping bail reform, I mean, come January 2020, if <laughs> strangling someone, uh, just so many crimes, criminally negligent homicide, burglary, grand larceny, uh, assaulting a child, selling drugs on school grounds going to be just complete no bail no bail you walk right back onto the street after co committing those crimes what? that's what's going to happen come so January wait, hold on but i'm, I'm confused i mean we'll get back to the issue quickly but if i'm charged with there's no bail then why would i show up for court well see <laughs> everyone should go to my website and look at the long list of crimes that are eligible for no bail come January 2020 because it's really quite shocking and I think people will be very concerned to know that 90% of the arrested population in New York will be released back onto the street as they await trial and my website's NicoleForNY.com take a look at all that list of crimes and sign my petition by the way to tell the governor to let's make changes before January 2020 now to answer your question the interesting thing is is that now Mayor de Blasio is saying well we're gonna 
incentivize people to come back to court by offering them, offering them gift cards, movie tickets, uh, Mets tickets. It, it's completely you're bribing criminals to come to court to be tried for crimes. Yeah, and if you're someone who is here illegally and there's a detainer request for you, you will just be released back onto the street uh, if you committed one of the crimes that I've mentioned. And it's very, it's very concerning. I think people need to get involved and, and write to the governor immediately. If you're in New York, you need to go to my website, look at that list, NicoleFriendWide.com. Send a message to the governor uh, because this is just one of the things that they passed Gov this year. Governor Cuomo. Governor Not the Cuomo. guy with the show on CNN, but his brother is the yeah, governor of your state. So, so basically, just to bottom line it, you come on, I ask you, it's a terrible idea to give prisoners the vote, and you point out, you think that's bad? There's a lot worse. Not only is there a lot worse, but it makes sense they want the prisoners to vote, because that's who they're putting first in the state of New York, You're the totally criminals. Right. Nicole, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Great to see you tonight, thank even you. though that was depressing. Well, this comes amid the news that more than 17,000 inmates may be released early due to concerns in crowded prisons. That's 70% more than previously estimated. In recent court filings, corrections officials estimated the total to be between 10 and 17,000. California Corrections Secretary Ralph Diaz is likely to block the release of about 5,000 inmates, in part because many are serving life sentences. It's like my son's life was no value. Her son was murdered last summer. 27-year-old Christian Tristan was a dad, happy and hardworking. 29-year-old David Cruz, a guy with a lengthy record of arrests, was charged with Tristan's murder. Only as of Thursday, he's out of the Harris County Jail, and he didn't have to put up a dime for bail. Cruz's argument to the judge was the fear of getting coronavirus. We want to make it very clear to our Harris County community, there are no mass releases planned. Our number one priority will always be public safety. They are talking about releasing nonviolent criminals, but yet this person was released. Today we got another statement from the sheriff's office. Had and that's true. This week we've learned releases. They all appear to be misdemeanor defendants. The DA's office didn't want this to happen either. No, this was the this one, Deshaun Jones. He's got a fancy website, even a section for arranging speaking engagements. But he still hasn't gotten back to us. And you released him, knowing that he murdered my son. And I felt like, like my son, his life meant nothing. That's what I felt. We are back now with a ruckus over the release of violent offenders from Virginia's prisons. Victims' families, needless to say, are frustrated over this. But 10 on your side is learning this may partly be a side effect of the coronavirus outbreak. Our Andy Fox has the exclusive details tonight. The Virginia Parole Board has come under fire for releasing some very violent criminals, including a cop killer out of Richmond and her brother here in Suffolk, Tommy Runyon. July 23, 1995, 17-year-old Dwayne Marquis Reed pleads guilty to capital murder. I'm going to sentence you to life in prison. Reed shot Tommy Runyon, seen here with his brother on the right, near this Suffolk street corner, Tommy's sister, Kathy Ramage. My cousin saw a flash. He took off got to where Planners was, and Tommy had been shot. But Reed had killed before. 
when he was only 14. 25 years later, the Virginia Parole Board set Reed free. It made me live it. He's now 43. I was so, so upset that they didn't even have the common courtesy to give any of my family members a call. Ramage found out Reed was out on the street from his Facebook page. Living your life like it never, like you did nothing. Reed walked out of prison April 17th. 13 days later, so did Patrick Schooley Jr., now 57 years old. At age 15, Schooley robbed, abducted, raped, and stabbed to death 78-year-old Bessie Roundtree here in her Suffolk home for a little over $10. Jonathan Brinkley was about the same age as Schooley when Schooley killed Brinkley's grandmother. The way I see it, eye for an eye, he, he should stay behind bars and not get out. Uh, stay there till he dies. Neither family was contacted. State code says they should be. And Suffolk Commonwealth's attorney Phil Ferguson only got a one-day notice on Schoolie's release. These are the most serious and most violent crimes the state in Virginia has in its laws. And they're releasing them with no input from the Commonwealth's attorney, no input from the victim's family. We also know the COVID-19 pandemic may have played a role in the releases. The newly appointed chair of the parole board, former Portsmouth Police Chief Tanya Chapman, who was not part of these parole decisions, emailed us. It is my understanding. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, during March and April, the parole board worked tirelessly to review all parole-eligible individuals and release those compatible with the interests and welfare of society. What is wrong with y'all? Because we got a COVID-19, you feel like you need to let killers back out on the street? And it is emotional for Kathy when she looks back. He's got two beautiful children. They were six and four when he died. Yeah, think about him all the time. And there's nothing I can do about this situation. 27 years later, it still hurts. And the pain doesn't go away. And it's even worse because of the way the person who killed her brother got out. In Suffolk, Andy Fox, 10 on your side. I could play for you, and I had it. Chris Cuomo literally saying that if you're looking at the violence, you're looking at the wrong thing. And the all punches are morally the same type bullshit. I could play you a whole montage of Democrats talking about taking guns. Because to me, guns... Criminal reform, law and order, all this stuff goes together. You need guns to protect yourself. Because we don't have law and order in a lot of parts of our cities because they let everything be based on one thing, race. We're not basing on one law for all. Their whole shtick now is basically surmised by the phrase, um... Well, they wouldn't have that happen if they weren't black and there wasn't systemic racism in America. They wouldn't be stealing shit. We played on the show, fucking protesters. They said, I don't care if they reappropriated and redistributed some Gucci and Nike. The system is so racist, they don't have a choice. They have to reappropriate that stuff because if they don't reappropriate it, they can't eat. That was on the show, folks. That was a huge reason why I could not vote for Biden. He said nothing. He still was trying to float, oh, those white supremacists and the agitators. It's all horseshit. So, next, M. 
Immigration. The uh, Obama-Biden administration deported more than three million Americans. My question to you is if an individual is living in the United States of America without documents, and that is his only offense, should that person be deported? No. Depending if they committed a, a major crime, they should be deported. And the president was left in his, President Obama, I think, did a heck of a job. To compare him to what, what this guy's doing is absolutely, I find, close to immoral. But the fact is that, look, we should not be locking people up. We should be making sure we change the circumstance, as we did, why they would leave in the first place. And those who come seeking asylum, we should immediately have the capacity to absorb them Keep them safe until they can be heard. A 15-second, if you could, if you wish to answer. Should someone who is here without documents, and that is his only offense, should that person be deported? That person should not be the focus of deportation. We should fundamentally change the way we deal with them. Senator. Raise your hand if, gover if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. With you, Mayor Buttigieg, why? Mayor Buttigieg, why? Because our country is healthier when everybody is healthier. And remember, we're talking about something people are giving a given a chance to buy into. In the same way that there are undocumented immigrants in my community who pay, uh, they pay sales taxes, they pay property taxes directly or indirectly. This is not about a handout. This is an insurance program. And we do ourselves no favors by having 11 million undocumented people in our country be unable to access health care. But, of course, the real problem is we shouldn't have 11 million undocumented people with no pathway to citizenship. It makes no sense. And um, the, American people, the American people agree on what to do. This is a crazy thing. If leadership consists of, of forming a consensus around a divisive issue, this White House has divided us around a consensus issue. The American people want a pathway to citizenship. They want a protections for dreamers. We need to clean up the lawful immigration system, like how my father immigrated to this country. And as part of a compromise, we can do whatever common sense measures are needed Mayor. at the border. But Washington can't deliver on something the American people want. What does that tell you about the system we're living in? It tells you it needs Mayor, profound structural reform. Vice President Biden, I believe you said that your health care plan would not cover undocumented immigrants. Could you explain? your position. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon. I believe at the show of hands you did not raise your hand. Did you raise no, your hand? No, I did. I, okay, but, sorry, sorry. So, so but, you said they would be covered under your plan, which yes. is different than Obamacare. Yes, but here, here's Can you the explain thing. that change? Yes. You cannot let, as, as the mayor said, you cannot let people who are sick, no matter where they come from, no matter what their status, go uncovered. You can't do that. It's just going to be taken care of, period. You have to. It's a humane thing to do. But here's the deal. The deal is that he's right about three things. Number one, they, in fact, contribute to the well-being of the country, but they also, for example, they've increased the lifespan of Social Security because they have a job, they're paying a Social Security tax. That's what they're doing. It's increased the lifespan. They would do the same thing in terms of reducing the overall cost of health care by them being able to be treated and not wait till they're an extremist. The other thing is, folks, look, we can deal with these insurance companies. We can deal with the insurance companies by, number one, putting insurance executives in jail for their misleading 
they're, they're misleading advertising, what they're doing on opioids, what they're doing paying doctors to prescribe. We should we could be doing this by making sure everyone who is on Medicare, that the government should be able to negotiate the price for whatever whatever the drug costs are. We can do this by making Sorry. sure that we're in a position that we, in fact, allow people. When we start giving people legitimate government identification, that's going to lead to voter fraud. That's going to lead to welfare fraud. That's going to lead to all kinds of fraud. That's why I say it again. If you're in this country illegally, we can't normalize that. Former acting director of ICE, Tom Homan, responding here on Tuesday to new laws offering privileges to illegal immigrants like free health care and the pursuit of driver's licenses. The Department of Homeland Security is going to begin previewing or reviewing New York new laws in New York and New Jersey, which issue driving licenses to illegal immigrants, saying the department needs to be prepared to deal with and counter the impacts as uh, we protect the homeland. So, John, do you think offering illegal immigrants the privilege of getting a driver's license is good policy? I do, and I think it's clearly a decision for the states to make. Right? The issuance of driver licenses is clearly under the purview of state government, and the federal government does not have a say in it. The real issue here, however, is the fact that we need comprehensive immigration reform. We have 11 to 13 million undocumented residents in our country. Several years ago, we had a bipartisan, comprehensive immigration reform bill that had border security in it, that reformed our visa programs, and created a pathway to legal status for these 11 to 13 million individuals. They couldn't commit a crime, they had to learn English, they had to wait 13 years, and that would solve this problem. That's what we have to get back to. We have to get back at the table with comprehensive bipartisan immigration reform. But as it relates to driver's license, I think it's up to the states but, to decide. Clearly, that's, that's the responsibility of a state government. Gary, a license is not a right, it is a privilege. It's a privilege that some people say should not be offered to people who are here illegally. What do you think? Uh, just another government failure over the, uh, adding to the last 20 years of a lot of flapping of gums from our government on immigration to fix the immigration problem. Do you know the DMV is, is, is prohibited to providing data uh, on these people to government agencies right. if need be? It actually has to go to a judge, has to ask for it. You've got to be kidding me. Look, there's a word called illegal. There's a word called legal. Nobody has ever changed the laws, and I don't understand whatever happened to the laws. And I believe in states' rights and everything, but I also believe the number so, one job of the government is to protect the so, citizenry. Gary, I think, I think it's also a question of uh, guaranteeing our elections and what's happened in California. There have been millions of people here illegally who have gotten driver's licenses, and it is a very short hop one form, one check box to also uh, be registered to vote. And so what, what's happened in California in the 2018 election, it appears that there was a significant number of people who did vote who were not in the country legally because they really didn't understand the form. And by the way, there has been almost no follow-up follow by California officials. I think that is a very worrisome thing, and we'll certainly see that er elsewhere if people allow illegals to have Look, uh, driver's it's, licenses. It's a little disingenuous, though, isn't it, to say, you know, we, we want people to come here legally, but then make it almost impossible for them to be here legally. I think John Delaney actually raises a, a really important point here. Look, there are people here illegally who are vibrant parts of American society. They work, they rent homes, they, they buy things. So let's take a, take a tip from Ronald Reagan and find some type of a, not a citizenship program, but a residence and amnesty but program. But Jonathan, Jonathan, what you say shows a 
faith. What you say shows, forgive me, but a dramatic ignorance of the situation of legal immigration into the United States. There are millions of people who who dot every I and cross every T in order to be legal immigrants here. This kind of thing where you're giving privileges to illegal immigrants is an insult to those people who have worked so hard to become legal immigrants. And there are millions of them. I, but I, I, don't I, think dis- with- I don't disagree, David. I just don't know why we make it so difficult for people to come and immigrate here and participate in the American Jonathan, dream. They certainly would like Jonathan, to be legal if they could. The worst Jonathan, thing for an economy is to, to, 20 to be to 25 years of, of not doing anything on immigration except talk, 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 by the way, from both sides of the aisle, right. which brought us to but here. But that's not true. That is absolutely not true. In 2012, there was a bipartisan, comprehensive immigration reform bill that was passed in the U.S. Senate. Significant Republican support. President Obama would have signed it into law. It did not get a vote in the House. But of John, it is true that that in the first two years would of the Obama administration, when the Democrats had the House, the Senate, and the executive, they failed to do comprehensive. Look, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue that works for Democrats. End of discussion. They don't want to solve this problem because all the anger and so forth creates this incredible voting block, which is growing faster than any other voting block but, in but, the United Liz, States, I mean, Liz, which is Hispanic it, voters. Is we answer, totally want to solve the problem. You do not, because we, then people aren't. Then maybe Hispanics won't have this. Every as the Democrat issue. running I mean, so for president has pledged to support. Hold on, Jonathan. Go ahead, John. Every Democrat running for president has pledged to support that bipartisan, comprehensive yeah, immigration reform. And so, why didn't it get done? Why because John Boehner didn't put it for a vote right, on the floor right, of the House. We don't need to get into those weeds, but the bottom line is something has to be done. By the way, the president has a comprehensive program too, so maybe that'll happen in the next four years. Who knows? These cities, Chicago. Cambridge, and most recently, San Francisco. Allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. That includes illegal immigrants who broke our laws when they entered our country. And not only that, non-citizens voting actually dilutes the votes and voice of law-abiding Americans, including naturalized citizens. If you are an American citizen in one of these cities, Your vote in local elections counts less now than it did before. You can thank your local politicians for that. But that isn't my ultimate concern with non-citizens voting. Ultimately, I'm concerned about the message that this practice sends about American citizenship itself. Ask yourself, does the concept of citizenship mean anything? Does it grant a person special consideration in the eyes of our government? Does it impose upon him or her special duties or obligations? Sadly, too many of our elites and even our politicians have trouble answering these questions. But for the rest of us, American citizenship still resonates as a source of significance, of purpose and identity. We know that citizenship has a meaning, that borders have a purpose, that sovereignty is an imperative. Precisely because we believe these things, we have to look out for our fellow Americans while guarding our elections against all outside interference. That is why I have introduced a resolution condemning efforts to allow non-citizens to vote in our elections. Because American citizenship means something special. Just ask any naturalized citizen. They'll tell you about it. 
I urge my colleagues to stand with me in protecting the right to vote for every American citizen of legal age and rejecting all outside and foreign interference in our elections. Citizenship means something. It means something to become an American. And today, I hope this body understands that and stands united in condemning a devaluing of citizenship. I yield back. You know, during this whole four years, we've had sanctuary cities because Donald Trump was enforcing the laws on the books. And I, I pin this on every fucking politician, the right and the left. They use this as a cudgel. They could do comprehensive reform, but why do that? Because if we did comprehensive reform, we wouldn't have this. We just wouldn't. We need this wedge issue to fucking scare people. But the Sacramento Bee sums up immigration very, very well with one article. 2020 Democrats, a sanctuary country. 2020 Democrats want the U.S. to be more like immigrant-friendly Florida. And every one of those sound bites proved it. Every one of those sound bites proved it. They want to give them free. You're not going to get free. And it goes with the section of this portion of the case against Biden. This isn't about immigrants. This is about voters. They want voters. That's what they want. Voters. If they make 11 million estimate, because we really don't know, illegals, legal They believe they have 11 million voters. And the simple fact that they ignored laws, did sanctuary cities, let that happen under Biden. Let anybody try that under Biden. Just watch. If he wins, which it looks like he's going to, let somebody do something similar. We're not going to enforce this law. Say it's guns. We are not going to require our citizens to get a background check to get ammo. See what happens. It'll be just like COVID. They'll lock them motherfuckers down, pull their business license. It's on like fucking Donkey Kong. Simple as that. Next two reasons. I'm going to do back-to-back bumpers. One is court packing, which we've covered till we could puke coat hangers. And then electoral college. Folks, this shit is petty. I mean, I just, I'm sorry, but I can't have a conversation about court packing around something that has not even happened yet, which is who is going to be the next president, without dealing with what they've been doing for the last few years. For weeks, Republicans have accused Joe Biden and Kamala Harris of having these secret plans for quote-unquote court packing. A derogatory term from the late 1930s when FDR proposed expanding the Supreme Court to up to 15 justices, and Republicans are raising the specter that Dems could try something like that again. Favor court expansion because of its reform possibilities, right? I want a better Supreme Court, not merely a Supreme Court where I get to win sometimes, all right? 
So that's why I favor a court expansion of up to 20 new justices on the Supreme Court. Each individual Supreme Court justice is frankly too important to our laws and our polity and our rights. If we had 29 justices, each individual death would be less important. And it will allow us to get back to, to confirming judges based on qualifications as opposed to based on agenda. So that expansion allows us to take down the temperature, literally depoliticize the confirmation battle. It allows us to have more moderate judges, more moderate opinions coming out of the courts. Yeah. If we could do court packing, I would be happy to have Republicans, you know, if Republicans want to play ball, right. I'd be happy to share some of the seats with them. Yeah, but, I mean, look, they don't want to fix it. Yeah, I mean, court, you say court packing, court stacking, or judicial reform, because clearly after 218 conservative judges, we need it. And Let's go next to our caller from the 401 area code. Who's calling today from 401? Hey Dave, it's it's Dave. Hey Dave, what's up? Um, uh, I I understand that the electoral college is uh, there to stop certain faction or demographic, whatever, from ruling indefinitely. Sure. But it seems as though it's working against its purpose. My question is: Do do you think the electoral college will ever be done away with? What would the process be, and how come there seems to be plenty of talk about it and no action? I'm from you know, Rhode Island, which, by the way, I, I was going to say, is blue. that a Rhode Island accent so, uh, that I, I was hearing? I didn't even yeah. vote for Hillary. I, uh, I voted for Bernie. You I voted, voted for Bernie. Voted right, very Bernie. Good. Listen, so you're completely right. The Electoral College, it, it, one of the main priorities of it was we don't want all of the rural areas being ignored and having candidates mass at, at cities and only paying attention to them. But what we have in practice is that the candidates are just paying attention to these key early states and states that are strategically significant. It's still ignoring a whole bunch of different people. And quite frankly, with modern media, I don't really care where the candidate goes. I don't care if, if, if a candidate comes to Boston or not. They're better than Donald Trump. I'm going to vote for them. Right. So I, I think that you're, you're right in your analysis. The bet, the most the simplest path to removing the Electoral College is the national popular vote interstate compact. You can basically just do it at the state level. If you get enough states whose electoral votes total 270 to decide, we will award our electoral votes not to the winner in our state, but to the winner of the national popular vote. You effectively create a national popular vote doesn't require ratification by uh, by by states, doesn't require a vote in the House and Senate. That, for me, is the most direct path to it. Mark in North Carolina, you're on the Ben Shapiro show. Go for it, Mark. Hey, what's going on, Ben? How you doing today? Hey, doing pretty well. Go for it, sir. <laughs> um, I actually I wanted to ask with what Virginia is attempting to pass through their their legislature. I know it passed on the one side, and now they're trying to get it through. Where whatever happens with the popular vote of the country would that's where they would send their electoral votes. Is that something that even if they pass on both sides of the the state house? that they can actually push through for the 2020 election with it being, you know, a state affair affecting what would be a national, you know, federal level. Is yes. that something that can actually happen? They can. The, the electors are chosen on the state level. So it, it is not it is not a, a federal requirement that electors be chosen in any particular way. In fact, theoretically, you could have a state that that through its electoral vote decided to do it proportionally, I believe. So I, I don't think there are mm-hmm. specific constitutional provisions on point as to what a state itself can do. The, the assumption was always that a state was going to 
to not make it proportional because then that actually waters down its impact, right? I mean, it, it, if you were to be Virginia right, and let's say right. somebody won 50 to 45, your impact basically becomes a net of maybe one electoral vote or something. So it, it's right. it, people sort of assumed that, that states would not do this specifically because basically Virginia is now saying that it doesn't matter. In the presidential election, right, right? We, don't, we don't care what our people we don't care what our people in Virginia think. We're just going to go with the vast majority. Hence, California, New York, you know, the, the populace and then got to love the whole voter ID. Oh, well, we don't want to check IDs. But yeah, I mean, hey, it's, it's, know, it's bewildering. It is, what it, is. It, it is the state of Virginia mm-hmm. effectively writing itself out of the of the Electoral College, because, again, there are only a couple scenarios here. One is that Virginia votes the same way as the Electoral College, in which case. The in which case there is no problem, right? If they vote, or rather, Virginia votes the same way as the popular vote, in which case there really is no no right. generalized problem. Or Virginia votes differently than the popular vote, in which case Virginia is now overriding the will of its own voters in order to help right. out whoever won the popular vote, which is a very weird thing to do and defeats the purpose of the electoral college. Generally, I guess it's a backwards way of of blue states trying to basically make the electoral college useless. I, I guess they're basically saying right. we don't want the electoral college to to rule anymore, but. That's one of the reasons right. the founders never thought it would happen. They figured that states were going to be pretty zealous about their own interests. One of the areas in which the founders vastly underestimated the capacity of national parties to override the interests of state parties. Mark, really appreciate your call. Hey, Blake in Mississippi, you're on the Ben Shapiro Show. Go for it, Blake. Understand this compact is unconstitutional. You, you can't do that. That is not a thing. It's against the Constitution. And they only started this because they lost AP, new litmus test, abolish electoral college. Because there's been two times in recent memory that they've lost and they got the popular vote. Anybody, once again, who's got that potato IQ knows it's because California, and that's where all our four million votes came from, California, But the reason they want this is why I have a podcast. They believe between the two coasts, shut your fucking mouth. You're overrepresented because a small state like Wyoming doesn't have a lot of people, but they got two senators, and that ain't fair. But our people who framed this Constitution were fucking brilliant. And the brilliant portion of this is they realized there would be centers of population that would rule the rest of the country. So they believed in equal representation in the Senate. Where the adults are supposed to be. And I am 100% unequivocally sure that if Republicans won the electoral vote, but Democrats or excuse me, if Republicans won the popular vote and Democrats won the electoral vote, this would not fly. This would never get off the ground. The media would not hone in and go, oh yeah, it's not fair. But they do it because they lost an election. And so now these people are going to unconstitutionally use the popular vote just in case their state doesn't go the way they want it. And it's, you know, this, you really want to go back to how dirty, how un-American, and how the Constitution means fucking nothing to liberals. It was the faithless election 
elector ploy. Do you remember that? That was our media literally rooting for people who were electors and were supposed to go up and elect Trump in our system. And they were saying, you do not have a conscience if you do not put Hillary Clinton anyway. Or don't give them the vote. That's how fucking shitty we were. We were on the floor of the Republican conference trying to get Mike Lee and Ted Cruz, two people that are very supportive of Trump now, literally trying to get them to do the same thing so Trump couldn't be nominated as a Republican candidate. And MSDNC was jerking off with KY on the floor, falling around, hoping it would happen. It goes back to what I said. Dan Dan Crenshaw, listen to him. They would scrap everything and say, you don't get a vote unless you own land. If it benefited them, which was the original way we started voting in our country. You know, normals didn't vote. So th- this is the, the, the one of the hugest things that bothers me. If you've got to change the system to win, that says more about you than the country. Maybe have ideals that go to beyond the micro demographics that you guys talk about all the time the the fucking midget transgender black people that are so important right now to the left and your religion of intersectionality i got a soundbite i'm gonna try to get on one of these of dan ben shapiro talking like me it's a religion it has replaced everything they fucking believe in everything Because they don't believe in a religion or a higher being or anything. All right. I'm not going to play the dun-dun. Green New Deal. Briefly. Seriously, folks. A, the way it rolled out was a total clusterfuck. It was all bad. There's a Wikipedia page you can go to and literally look at all the stupid fucking shit that's in here. Uh, Heritage. What's in the resolution? How much would it cost? It would even stop global warming. This fucking thing is a litany of fucking stupidity. It is basic the the hill, not a right-leaning mag. The sham of the Green New Deal is in its true intent, advancing socialism. Everybody gets a pot to piss in and a window to throw it out of. That's the whole concept. Redoing buildings, creating jobs, 30% renewables, all this shit is just a socialism grab. That's all it is. The same people that are running around talking about the Green New Deal are the people that are flying on private jets. Bernie with 45 fucking homes. I mean, get the fuck out of here. It has nothing to do with climate. It has to do with control. And pushing socialism. That's it. Nutshell. Nine trillion, nutshell. Forgot that part. Then we go into my favorite, which is just recently, the filibuster. If politicians want to honor John, and, and, and I'm so grateful for the legacy and work of all the congressional leaders who are here, But there's a better way than a statement calling him a hero. You want to honor John? Let's honor him 
by revitalizing the law that he was willing to die for. And by the way, naming it the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that is a fine tribute. But John wouldn't want us to stop there, just trying to get back to where we already were. Once we pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, we should keep marching to make it even better by making sure every American is automatically registered to vote, including former inmates who've earned their second chance. By adding polling places and expanding early voting and making Election Day a national holiday so if you are somebody who's working in a factory or you're a single mom who's got to go to her job, and doesn't get time off, you can still cast your ballot by guaranteeing that every American citizen has equal representation in our government, including the American citizens who live in Washington, D.C. and in Puerto Rico. They're Americans. by ending some of the partisan gerrymandering so that all voters have the power to choose their politicians, not the other way around. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic, in order to secure the God-given rights of every American, then that's what we should do. Now, Even if we do all this, even if every bogus voter suppression law is struck off the books today, we've got to be honest with ourselves that too many of us choose not to exercise the franchise. Too many of our citizens believe their vote won't make a difference, or they buy into the cynicism that, by the way, is the central strategy of voter suppression, to make you discouraged, to stop believing in your own power. So we're also going to have to remember what John said. If you don't do everything you can do to change things, then they will remain the same. You only pass this way once. You have to give it all you have. As long as young people are protesting in the streets, hoping real change takes hold, I'm hopeful, but we can't casually abandon them at the ballot box. Not when few elections have been as urgent on so many levels as this one. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. For more than two centuries, the U.S. Senate has required the support of at least 60 senators before they pass major pieces of legislation. That makes for a cumbersome system. It requires compromise and patience. It delays the passage of laws. 
But it has endured through the centuries, despite leadership of the body. At times, the Senate has been controlled by Republicans. Other times, it's been controlled by Democrats. But that standard, the standard of 60 votes, often referred to as the filibuster rule, has never changed. We've had it since 1806, when Thomas Jefferson was the president. But why is that? It's not just because U.S. senators tend to be pompous and mindlessly wedded to tradition, though obviously they are. It's because this is a democracy. Sober people know that before you make big changes to a country, you had better be certain that a large majority of your citizens support what you're doing. That's the principle behind our entire system of government. And whatever you do as a lawmaker, you'd better be thoughtful about it, absolutely certain that what you're doing is wise and won't hurt your grandchildren in ways that you haven't bothered to think through. And that's why, for 214 years, we've required a supermajority in the Senate. It's not just an arcane piece of Senate procedure. It's central to the way the country works. But what would happen if suddenly people with very different attitudes took control of our system? What if these new people didn't care about the wisdom or long-term consequences of the things they did? What if they didn't believe in democracy? What if they considered debate and persuasion, winning people over, pointless, even immoral, and instead intended to rule by force? What if all these people cared about was power? Well, people like that, of course, would hate the filibuster rule. It would be an obstacle in their path to total control, and they would be desperate to eliminate it. They'd never admit that out loud, needless to say. They'd, they'd never be direct about anything. In fact, they would despise clear, precise English, and they would punish anyone who dared to speak it. People like this would instead rely on feline misdirection to get what they wanted. They'd lie about everything, boldly and without shame. They would denounce their enemies for the very sins they themselves were committing. If they wanted to turn America into a one-party state, for example, a state that they alone control, they wouldn't say that out loud. They would instead accuse anyone who opposed that goal of, quote, partisanship. And they wouldn't even smile as they said it. Watch. When the Democrats have the White House again, if Mitch McConnell tries to do what he did to President Obama and put small-minded partisanship ahead of solving the massive problems in this country, then we should get rid of the filibuster. Small-minded partisanship. Well, Joe Biden served in the U.S. Senate for decades. He always supported the filibuster when he was there. Now, Biden appears to agree with Elizabeth Warren. If Republicans won't obey the newly ascended Democratic Party, Biden said recently, we'll just cut them out of the conversation. Chuck Schumer, of course, is on board, too. Former Vice President Biden recently suggested that he would be open to supporting eliminating the filibuster uh, if Republicans obstruct his agenda. Where, where do you stand on that? Are you more receptive to look, taking a look at doing that? Job number one is for us to get the majority. Uh, we don't take anything for granted, but it's looking better and better. And once we get the majority, we'll discuss it in our caucus. Nothing's off the table. Nothing's off the table. In other words, the second we take control, and that could be soon, we're getting rid of the filibuster. So how do you do that exactly? How do you justify it? On what grounds do you change a system that has worked demonstrably well for centuries? Well, you justify it the same way you justify tearing down ancient statues that until last week weren't even controversial. You claim they represent bigotry. They're already doing that. Last month, the Atlantic denounced the filibuster as, quote, another monument to white supremacy. 
On Sunday, faithful Democratic Party lackey Ron Brownstein wrote a piece arguing that getting rid of the filibuster is, quote, a civil rights issue. Because apparently Democrats used the filibuster 60 years ago to slow the passage of civil rights legislation, which, by the way, passed anyway. And therefore, Republicans are bigots for wanting to keep the filibuster. Following that? That's the level of debate currently underway among smart people in Washington. It's moronic. But it's also transparent. That doesn't mean it's not working, though. It is. The filibuster could soon be gone. There's a lot at stake in this conversation. It's not obscure. It's real and it's practical. With the last check and balance gone, there will be no limit to the ways the Democratic Party can remake the country in their first few months in power. We don't have to guess about their plans. They've told us what they plan to do. And without a filibuster, they will be fully capable of doing it. Turn gun owners into criminals. Let actual criminals go free. Ban all criticism of their ideas and behavior. Crush independent media voices like this channel. Pass the lunatic Green New Deal, which does nothing for the environment and does an awful lot for their control of the country. Pack the Senate by making D.C. a state Pack the Supreme Court by simply packing it, adding more justices. And just to make certain they never lose another election, add tens of millions of foreign nationals to U.S. voter rolls. They will call that immigration reform. They'll dare you to call it something else. They'll charge you with hate speech if you try. You think they won't do all that? Why wouldn't they do all that? Their voters, their core voters, are demanding they do all that. And with no filibuster, they can because no one can stop them. Before I screed on this, the filibuster is tied into two new states. I rise to support H.R. 51, the Washington, D.C. Admission Act, which would end centuries of taxation without representation and make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. And nobody's giving back anything. Washington, D.C. is the home to more Americans than two states. And more than 46% of its 700,000 residents are black. Make no mistake, race underlies every argument against D.C. statehood and denying its citizen equal, uh, equal participation and representation is a racial, democratic, and economic injustice we cannot tolerate. I will never vote to give Washington, D.C. separate statehood status. Washington, D.C. is a city, not a state. Its population is roughly one-seventh that of Alabama. To add perspective, giving D.C. statehood is the equivalent of giving Jefferson County, Alabama, or the Tennessee Valley separate statehood status. That is nuts. History is in order. The District of Columbia originally was 100 square miles. President Washington said, the Constitution is a guide which I will never abandon. Nothing in the Constitution says that we cannot make the Washington state the Douglas Commonwealth. Frederick Douglass said, there is no power without struggle. The sons and daughters of Washington, D.C. laid down their life for this country in world wars. They stand for this country in service to this government. Why are we denying them their right? Alaska has 700,000 plus people. There is no population requirement. Gentlemen's time has expired. Washington, D.C. a state now. Congressman, what does it mean to you today after fighting for so long? It means everything to me today. And it means we have a uh, it means we have a big boost to go to the Senate, where Democrats are favored to take over next year. Not to mention the presidency, 
where I think we have a tremendous chance to get a new president, all of which bodes well for H.R. 51, our D.C. statehood bill. What's your message to Mitch McConnell? Bye-bye, Mitch. <laughs> now, to show you the media is so in lockstep, the moment Barack Obama got up there and didn't do what most presidents do, which is shut the fuck up, ex-president. He ran his soup coolers. The Atlantic, the Senate filibusters, another monument to white supremacy, tear it down. PolitiFact, the history of the filibuster as a Jim Crow relic. That was all spooled, ready to go. But what is their intent? Why do they want to do this? Well, it's very simple. The filibuster, which was fine for them on many issues, guns, I remember them filibustering for that shit. They filibustered a shitload during the Bush administration. Makes you have to have majority-proof fucking bills in the Senate. But just like Mr. Hopi Changey, who said, I got a phone and a, a Sharpie, or a pen and a phone, they scrapped it for the ACA. They, they went away with it during the time that the Republicans wouldn't play their game for two years under Obama. And now they want to do it again. It was summed up very well last night by a young lady who literally just said, hey, the reason they want to do this is so they can take radical agendas and push it through with 51 votes. Get two more states? Well, then they have majority. Just like getting rid of electoral, just like in the two states, D.C. and Puerto Rico, it's just all about votes tied into we make 11 million illegals legal, we rule forever. And yes, if the Republicans were doing this, I'd be against it too. Because I'm an independent. I don't believe one party should have power. And I think American people are with me because you watch almost every election. One of the levers are not all one party. We're either saying the House is Republican, the Senate and the White House are Democrat, or vice versa. That's how we've always done it. And if they do get all three branches, or the House, the Senate, and the White House, literally, folks, it's by slim, slim. Because the American people know if you let one of these parties have total power, they rat fuck the country for their base. And their base represents 20% of the country max is the left wing and right wing. But if you even notice that in any article, it's right, far right wing. The left part of the of the Democratic Party. <clears throat> they put it so nice for Democrats. Because they're part of that 18% that want to tear the fucking country down. This is just a one-party rule grab. That's all they're doing. I could not vote for that. And they're going to get it. It's an up, this year is an uphill for the Senate, for the Democrats, or for the Republicans. Democrats had less seats, Republicans had more seats. With the media and overdrive, with all the negative and bullshit, it's going to be hard for them to flip any of those seats. They're even running a ex-army officer, African-American, against an incumbent Republican, and she got relieved of duty. It's just like Biden's son 
kicked out for fucking busting up, getting busted on a piss test. I mean, I know I got a lot of reasons, but at least they're grounded on the policies they wouldn't fucking talk about. Next one is the LGBT agenda. And no, it's not about adults who want to get their freak on. It's about kids. And if you haven't heard the name Desmond Napolis, get ready for this trailblazing 11-year-old drag kid who RuPaul is calling the future. His bravery is inspiring so many. We're going to talk to him in just a moment, but first, let's take a look at his amazing story. I'm Desmond. I'm 11 years old, and I like pizza, trains, and drinking root beers and caffeine-free. I also do drag, and I love to put on makeup, dresses, and wigs, and of course, jewelry if necessary. My full drag name is Desmond is Amazing. I feel very happy to have a mom that accepts me. It really touches me deeply that there are other children out there that he's reaching and they're listening to him and he's influencing them to be themselves. I'm very proud of him. I'm proud that he's found his path so early. My greatest joy in this is just seeing Desmond happy. I love doing drag because it makes me feel amazing and self-expressive. It just feels amazing to know that people love what I do. My one big message would be three words, be yourself always. Free. I can get on board with that. My mom doesn't like me drinking caffeine. Does it make you hyper? Yeah, me too. They don't like when I drink caffeine either. But, Jasmine, you're one of the youngest and first drag queen slash kids. And I've heard, you, I've heard that you've gotten messages from young adults who look up to you for being who you are. What are some of the notes you've gotten? Some of the notes... I've gotten are like that you inspire me very much and I wish I could have had the support that you have um, when I was a child. And your parents, we saw your parents in the piece that we did, and your parents are so supportive of you, but they've also, they've encouraged you to stay and be who you are. So how has that inspired you to be open about dressing in drag? They support me by letting me do what I want to do and um, letting me um, dress up and letting me play with um, makeup and trains. And, um, yeah, I really like trains. When I'm out of drag, most of the time I'm playing with trains. Everyone's accepting of things, and some people have criticized you. What do you say to them? Um, it's fine. Um, 
Desmond here, so thank, thank you. you, Desmond. But we also have some people that wanted to come see you personally. So please welcome Head of Lettuce. <laughs> And we can't forget Melissa Edwards. So, so for for you three, when you when you see Desmond, what what comes to mind? What do you think about? Inspirational, yeah. great, courageous. I wish because I started uh, doing drag at 15 years old, and obviously not 11. But I wish, even at that age, that I could have had the courage that you have to do what you do, and literally yeah. take the art. Ooh. And put it in mainstream America. Wow. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You yeah. have the future of drag, so you have a lot to live up to. <laughs> and I think it's also awesome that you are blessed with parents that love and support you unconditionally. There are some no. special gifts you have for Desmond. See, I, I drew Desmond a little green-haired lady. It, it's, it's for you. It's to bring you good luck and prosperity in your future. And to eat iceberg lettuce. Good roughage, okay? There you go. With tomatoes and cucumbers. Absolutely. And I brought you a gift basket of some what of my favorite. Actually, you know what? Let me actually hand it to you because I think you need to have it in your Desmond, hand. Look at those lights. It is some of my favorite makeup essentials that I use always. And you know, you can never have enough black eyeliners. So my favorite black eyeliners in there. And I have a makeup tutorial DVD, so uh, you can watch it and pick up a couple of tips and techniques. Oh. Yeah. And I see a little unicorn bag. I can get on board with well, that. Well, Desmond, you know I'm a teacher over there at Beyond Belief Dance Company, and um, we would love for you to come take some dance classes. Oh, so nice. I wanted to bring you a quintessential I got it, BBDC unicorn. <laughs> it's got my favorite uh, rhinestone. You cannot be a queen without some diamond nails. <laughs> and some socks. It's got some pins. It's got a little notepad. No, I want you to journal everything that you do because you truly are very brave and courageous. And let me give you this. Thank you guys 
for being here. Thank Desmond, you. your parents. Yes. Um, thank you for reminding us all to be who we are on the inside. You can check out Alyssa Edwards on Dancing Queen on Netflix now. Thank you, Head of Lettuce, Chanel, and Alyssa Edwards for being here. I would define myself as an inspirational uh, drag kid, but if I had one word, I think it'd be amazing. A drag kid is uh, exactly what it sounds like, a kid who, do, who does drag. I came up with the idea because I felt like drag, drag queen was too adult. So me and my mom, we thought of something and then we came up with drag kids. Well, my mom and dad handled the negative comments, but you know, I think they're just jealous of how fabulous I am. And my mom has three steps. Delete, lock, report. I think you should always be yourself because it's, in my opinion, it's easier to deal with negative things when you're expressing yourself. A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, Strike-A-Pose, one, two, three. A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, Strike-A-Pose, one, two, three. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! That's, of course, Desmond. It has been something that has been on my show since day one. And I, once again, don't give... Two fucks if you want to be a fucking goat. If you want to marry a goat. If you want to fuck a goat. I I don't fucking care. You do you. I do me. That's the way this country's set up. You don't have to like brisket like I do. You can do pulled pork. I'm a Packer fan. You can root for fucking the Vikings. I don't fucking care. But this kid shit. No, 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 no. Kids of gay parents fare worse study finds, but research draws fire. The study is off the net. You can't find it. It is totally suppressed, which is our next subject, social media. Mark Regeneres, Associate Professor of Sociology at the University of Texas, surveyed more than 15,000 Americans ages 18 to 39 asked them questions about their upbringings. Its findings are published in a July issue of Social Science Research. One survey question asked whether a parent had been in the same-sex relationship during the child's upbringing. Regeneres wanted to see whether there was a difference between kids raised in households by a parent in the same sex compared to heterosexual, something Surprisingly, that's not asked, because it's against the narrative. Remember, penguins are gay! Yeah, we covered that on the show. That's a fucking lie, too. It was British. Two guys hung out. Then all of a sudden, they started mating, 
And, oh, by the way, uh, they never reported that because it broke the narrative. The survey results were measured by a set of 40 outcomes on social, emotional, and relationship factors. Outcomes included whether a child had grown up to need public assistance, were were more likely to have anxiety or depression, were likely to be abused, or were apt to engage in unhealthier habits such as having more sexual partners, smoking, or drugs. Regenerous analysts identified 175 now adult children who said they were raised by a lesbian mother along with 73 who said their father was in a same-sex relationship. Focusing on a larger sample, the study found respondents whose mother had a same-sex relationship fared worse on 24 of the 40 test outcomes compared with the children of an intact heterosexual couple. 69% of children and lesbian mothers reported that their family received public assistance, such as welfare at some point, compared with 17 for heterosexual. About half the children of intact biological families said they were employed full-time compared with 26% of those born to a lesbian mother. 14% of kids of lesbian moms spent time in a foster care at some point compared with 2% of the rest of the children. Overall, less than 2% of all respondents who said their mother had a same-sex relationship reported living with their mom and her partner for all 18 years. With children of dads in the same-sex relationship, there were 19 outcomes they performed worse on, or generous told Health Pop. Most conclusions about same-sex parenting have been drawn from small, convenient samples, not larger, random ones. And they're all provided by GLAAD. We've proven it on the show. They're self. The people that don't continue, they do not report. Most of the transgender shit, 80% of transgenders go back. That's partially true by Walt Hager's study, a guy who was a guy, a girl, then back to a guy, because he made a, he had the transgender regret site. But it's also because 80% of all the surveys stopped. They never come back because they stopped doing it. It was a fad, kind of like straight edge with my kids. You know, no nicotine, no sex, no this. That shit didn't let My daughter was a vegan until she got poor, and then she ate the fuck out of beef. The results of the approach have often led family scholars to conclude that there's no difference because they never asked the question. But those older studies have inadvertently masked real diversity among gay and lesbian. Several experts and advocacy groups are pissed the fuck off and we've wiped it from the fucking internet. End story. Now we go to the child. That is an eight-year-old kid. He saw grown men tuck their cocks. He was doing a routine in gay strip clubs. And yes, the far left wants minor attracted people, MAP pedophiles, to be under the LGBTQ EIEIO umbrella. But the sexualization of children, as young as three, with liberal courts saying you must give them life-altering sterilization drugs before they're hitting puberty is fucking criminal and approved by no Americans. He's all on that shit. He's on it like white on rice, on a paper plate, in a snowstorm. His answers have been weaker than a nickel pack of Kool-Aid. No color, no flavor, no scent. He's with the LGBT umbrella because he needs a 5.4% 
of the demo to vote for them. But the gay shit that they're doing with kids and kids only can't have it. Can't abide by it. Can't do it. And then another huge reason. Because once again, I'm just going to play abortion on an outro to our next podcast. Is the social media censorship. Recently, we've seen censorship of free thought and stories from the big tech giants. Many believe this kind of editorial suppression will affect the upcoming election. But it seems the biggest tech giant of them all, Google, may have other ways to impact the election, this time coming from their ad sales division overseas. The Republican Party that wields that influence. So, like, what can be done in that realm? You can offer free credits, free advertising credits to uh, Democratic parties to advertise. You can, uh, potentially, you can uh, censor out news from your search engine. I don't know how much you do that or not. Yeah, I think that. Mm. But and I help them from safety also that makes yeah. decisions. There's different, uh, there's different teams in trust and safety, but yeah. You would want to root for a, you know a, a, a rare progressive organization to have you know as at least as much say or you know yeah, on, so on the election yeah uh, yeah kind of yeah I mean can't they play a role and they do that they do that like in what ways though um, they fund the parties they help with the advertising yeah they I don't know. I don't know if Google does that, but they can stop ultra far right parties to advertise. Right? Really? Hate speech. Anything in regards to hate speech, you cannot advertise it. On YouTube sites, they block videos that contain hate speech. Right. Year on year, 80% of videos uploaded has been have been blocked. Uh-huh. In total, that contain hate speech. Right. It will never be a 100%. That was Adriano Amaduzzi in Google's overseas ad sales division. He seems to link hate speech and conservative voices as one and the same. He unabashedly says that Google could get involved in our elections here in the United States by, quote, actually stopping right-wing parties from advertising, unquote. How do they determine hate speech, though? Like, it's, it's not really a concrete definition. So it's, it's, well, it's, uh, it's human uh, reviewed, right, by trust and safety. Oh, so they're the ones who determine that. So, yeah. trust and safety is, sets their own standards for hate speech. Yeah, exactly. But, so they can block, say it's not an extreme right wing, what if, and I agree with you, it's no, not it's their true. business to get involved, but they do. And what if people, the majority of trucks and safety is extremely left, could they or would they get involved with our 2020 election? Yeah, by stopping, for the, especially stopping uh, right, uh, right-wing parties to, from advertising. So, can you do that? Or reducing the exposure of their ads. And are you able to do that, like within no, your? Me personally, no. no. But I mean, your department, like, ad- I'm, but it's advertising, right? Yeah. So, you mean like conservative companies or, or conservative? No, no, no. It's more com- with conservative parties. 
When we met Adriano in Dublin last year, he admitted he was pushing his progressive political agenda on would-be customers. And funnily enough about Brexit, I had a guy on LinkedIn, me, for no re- I don't know why, contacting me saying, Hi, I'm the head of digital infrastructure of the Conservative Party of the United Kingdom. We would like to uh, do advertising with Google. Could you, could you help me with that? That's awesome. I didn't answer. Like, awesome. That's so, so you're telling you're telling an Italian that lives in London that you want to advertise right. for Brexit. And, uh, <laughs> so like at like promoting Brexit? Yeah, exactly. Promoting the prom, you know promoting like blocking um, free movement of uh, non uh, of European people. So. Right. And you're asking a European <coughs> to help you do that. I'm like sure. That's great. It's good because you're. In a position, so same way that Trust and Safety was able to help repeal the aid, you can have your own influence in a way. I'm, I'm guessing, right? Because you are the gatekeeper of who will what you're going to allow to advertise. So if they want to promote it, you no, just, not really. I wish I was that influential. I'm just uh, one of the phones. But in a way, you are because you said you can say no, which is uh, yeah. Important. I didn't help it. And what are they? The majority of Google is liberal. It's pretty clear that Google is editorializing and picking winners and losers. For the most part, it's being done in the shadows. Isn't it time for them to come clean and be honest about what they may be doing to impact the election? Yesterday, across the board, and that was a huge deep dive into Google. I have two more sound bites we will play from Project Veritas talking to Google execs. That was a ad exec. This ties in to right after the election where I played the Google 2016 meeting where they said they would affect this election because they didn't last time. And all the studies that I've covered that social media can sway an electorate by 9%. You're seeing it right now with the fact that you can't Google anything without an anti-Trump story coming up or a pro-Biden. But yesterday there was a story that broke tied into the Hunter Biden shit. And basically, what the story said is Rudy Giuliani was a Russian stooge and he's a pedophile. It was all done by a Democratic operative. And Stephen L. Miller, journalists from ABC News, VOA, MSDNC, Politico, and Time all retweeted the false Rudy text from a Democratic activist. The New York Post is still locked out of their Twitter account. They can't tweet even though they've said that it's over. It was wrong. They shouldn't have done it. And then you get into the the meat and potatoes. Pew survey suggests social media is indeed shifting users' political views. A study from the Pew Research Center published on October 15th found that 23% of adult social media users in the United States changed political views they hold because they saw social media in the past year. According to the study, 21% of the respondents were Republican or lean Republican, and 25% of the Democrats and those who lean Democrats said they changed their views. I used to support BLM, but now I see them as a violent domestic terrorist, not interested in addressing the real problems of the black community, somebody said. Another one, I realized that we need to do more for LGBTQ issues, but Trump's not doing them, and we need to change, even though that's not true. Another one, and they say Trump is a Nazi. 
WAPO opinion piece argues that social media platforms must muzzle Trump until after the election. Understand, effective yesterday, if you try to retweet something, they're trying to stop the spread of any information. So what's happening is you hit retweet and it's a quote tweet. Then it says you retweet. And then on some stories that are conservative, they literally say, well, are you sure if you read the story? And then you can retweet. The WAPO perspective. I ran political advertising for Twitter. It's time for the platform to mute Trump. But even at the risk of infringing on the principles of free speech and the decreasing engagement for a period, which is to say hurting their own bottom line, Twitter and Facebook should muzzle Trump as the election nears. What will he tweet when we get closer to election day? Or as the returns start coming in? Is there any doubt it will question results and claim a victory? This is not unprecedented. Some nations impose silence periods before election. Yeah, they're fucking communists, you fuckhead. Twitter, Facebook, censor Trump campaign 65 times, but haven't done anything to Biden, who has posted doctored videos, deceptively edited, and put out false stories. Rasmussen, 79% of social media users don't believe most of what they read. 61% say social media bad for politics. But you may say that, but the reality is, doesn't it get in your head? I'm a 53-year-old bald guy smoking a cigar in my basement. My life is pretty fucking pathetic because the career I chose post-military went into the drink and then nobody would hire me because they said I was overqualified. And there are times I stare at my fucking Twitter feed or I read stories or I watch TV and I go, is it me? Am I fucked up because I don't believe three-year-olds should get their dicks chopped off and become girls? Is it me? Is the country really liberal and I just don't know it because of where I live? Instead of what I believe, it's liberal because all our media is in liberal areas surrounded by liberals. They're the people that believe 25% of the country is gay because 25% of the people living around them are gay. But then I read articles, 71% of tech pros surveyed believe anti-conservative bias existed or exists. The blog highlighted the more salient numbers for the report, including the fact that 71% of pros believe that there is an anti-conservative bias in tech. While many companies' users declared their concern about extensive bias, some overwhelmingly denied there are 30% of Intuit professionals and 46% of VMware professionals believe there isn't an anti-conservative bias. Blind noted that the critical needs for its services, whether they lean liberal or conservative, it seems like an anonymous platform give them a safer space to talk about politics. In an era of cancel culture, the last bastion of free and honest debate appears to be when users can hide their identities. We see conversations that professionals would usually avoid bringing up in the workplace. For example, users want to have civilized conversation about why some voted for Trump, why some voted for Obama twice, and silencing of conservatives in the Bay Area. 
It has gotten so bad during this election. Partisan censors strike back a 21st century campaign contribution to Biden. So bad that the Republican National Committee has filed an FEC complaint. Shortly after this reported came the, ah, Twitter policy change. Here's the headline from the Washington Times. Twitter changed politics after criticism from restricting the anti-Biden conduct. Straight blocking of URLs was wrong, and we updated our policy, yet they're still locked out. Matt Walsh, big tech crackdown on misinformation doesn't seem to include any left-wing information. I want you to really think about Russia, Russia, Russia. All of that was wrong. All of it. It was false. But somehow, none of it got took down. I mean, simple things like Trump said I was wiretapped by Obama. It was true. Think about 2016 in the emails. Chris Cuomo going on TV. You can't read these. It's illegal. And if you participate in it, you're being illegal. I mean, it's fucking straight up garbage. And then you get more Project Veritas. Here's one. Program manager, Google trying to play God via algorithms. Google head of global analysis platform are influencing you in a way you didn't sign up for. And if you don't want to listen to this... You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! We've been talking to a ranking member at Google, and he says there will be riots at Google if Trump wins. He says Google and YouTube play God with their power... And he even raises concerns about Google outsourcing American jobs to run surveillance on Americans. If Trump wins, there will be riots. If the left wins, they will be ecstatic. So I disagree with uh, the corporations playing God and taking away freedom of speech of both sides, basically. Yeah. How, how are they doing that? Uh, like deleting tweets and whatever from the president and deleting some of the stuff from the leftist media. So I'm like, uh, you are playing selective God. Like, if, if it was squad, it doesn't matter, but for Trump, uh, Melania Trump, it matters. And on the other side, uh, Trump says something, misinformation, you're going to delete that because it's illegal under whatever pretext. And uh, if a Democratic uh, leader says that, then you're going to leave it like that. You know? uh, yeah. So I'm like, okay, you're not following... One way or the other, you were just plain and simple trying to play God. Yeah, they're trying to play God. Yeah. That's why you want to leave Google. Yeah, it doesn't jive with me. I mean, that's the most powerful company in the world. In one way. Yeah. But morally and ethically, I disagree. And I guess that's one of the reasons I feel suffocated. You are? I feel suffocated in Google. Yeah. Because on on one side you have this uh, professional or unprofessional attitude, 
and on the other side you have this ultra leftist attitude, and then like your entire existence is like questioned. So, mm. so who? I mean, the leftist must be in charge. I don't know that. I don't know that. Because, uh, I mean, the founders were ultra leftist, we know that. Yeah. But Sundar, I'm not sure. You guys own YouTube, right? Huh? We play God with that, too. What's that? We play God with that, too. With YouTube? Yes. Oh. Like, uh, How so? deleting all the controversial stuff, deleting all the KKK stuff, deleting all the uh, anti. Apartheid and anti-Semitism, all of this stuff. I'm like, it's not, it's not a good thing. I, I agree with that, but that in the, if it's freedom of speech, both sides need to get their opinion. Yeah, yeah. With, with the parties, though, I feel like they probably delete one and keep the other. The parties can subscribe to whatever agenda, just like the individuals. What do you mean? Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure if the GOP says KKK is fine, people who don't believe in that, they will abandon you. This guy Ritesh Lakar, a technical program manager at Google, is telling our journalists the truth about the company he has worked at for years. With the presidential election just days away, he is calling out his own friends in big tech. You go to search and you type in like Donald Trump. No. And it's like all negative. Yeah. And when you type in Joe Biden, it's all positive. Because it's skewed by the owners or the drivers of the algorithm. It's skewed by the owners and drivers of the other Like so if I say, hey Guru, here's another two billion dollars. Feed this data set of whenever Joe Biden is searched, you will get these results. I mean, yeah, but it's just it seems like they're just they favor the Democrats. I mean, because we are in America. Even, even but, as a centrist, it just seems like it. Yeah. I know because it's like with uh, Mr. Zuck. Yeah. But even because, in America, what are we saying? Because we are in America, the wind is blowing towards Democrats because GOP equals Trump and Trump equals GOP. Everyone hates it. Even though GOP may have good traits, no one wants to acknowledge them right now. So the wind is blowing in towards Democrats. So let's skew the results towards Democrats. I guarantee you, four years from today, after the elections, depending on the performance, the wind may blow towards GOP. How is Google influencing action? Yeah, but so there are many ways, right? I think ads is one way. Yes. Right? But I think another way is search results. Mm-hmm. Right? YouTube is going to be another one. is Google influencing the election through search results? I think it's not Google. I think it's the right question here is how is technology mm-hmm. affecting preferences of people? Mm-hmm. I think that's the right question. Um, because I think I think people don't recognize that, you know, I think like the, look, I think, I think uh, US has always been um, um, I mean, if you look at the foundation of the U.S. economy, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that happened of the, after the Industrial Revolution that I, I think the U.S. has actually specialized in is the discipline of marketing and influencing. 
For example, no one's complaining about the fact that the political ads that you get are actually based on your political leanings. Right? So, if the algorithm understands that you're a Democrat, you're going to see Democratic ads. Right? And, and all of the social media and your online platforms know your political leanings. Now, the more you see a Biden ad, the more you know, passionate or the more sort of leaning you're going to become Biden. For Biden. Right? But the, the question is, is that the right kind of influence or not? What do you think? I don't think it is. Well, because the algorithm could favor a certain political leaning, right, for the ads? Show you certain ads? Yes. I, I don't think it is. And because I think, like, it's unfair. It, I think it's, it's a very, um, you know, you know, it's common knowledge that brands and marketing and TV advertising influence Yeah. And I think because it's common knowledge, uh, people don't mind showing those things to their kids or to themselves, right? Mm -hmm. You'll watch an ad and you'll be like, okay, I know what they're trying to do. Democrat and you're seeing more and more Democrat, you're not given an opportunity to change your mind. Yeah. And I think you can feed so much Democratic ads, so this is content that they have not wanted to see or they've signed up to see, but they're just mm -hmm. being fed, right? All day. So if I'm on YouTube, you know, two hours a day, and I'm given like 50 ads, all uh, Democratic ads. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's a, that's the problem. And not only democratic ads, but I'm giving like, local ads that are aligned with the mission and the cause that I believe in. Yeah. Um, some people, when they would find out about that, may become very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it's not like normal TV advertising. Where it's... The personalization shows, aspect of it. Yeah. yeah, where it shows both. It's yeah. favoring one. Yeah. Or like even the the idea of like you know Biden creating 500 ads, one for each mission. Yeah. But each of us only seeing the one that we care about. Yeah. I mean that stuff can be very creepy. Like you even mentioned that like by saying that you don't totally hate Trump, that could be a problem at your work. Oh yeah, that totally could be. If I say that tomorrow, that I'm a Trump supporter, I'd probably lose my job. Really? Yeah. And I think it won't be direct. But indirectly, it would become very, very hard for me to say that. Because they couldn't directly fire you, right? No, they couldn't. They, nobody could do that. But I think it would be a very, very tough one. Because, you know, it's the peer pressure, it's the social pressure. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, being a front supporter is, uh, you know, being a, a bad person. Folks, I edited the shit out of that because it's very long, but it's everything we already talked about. From donations to searches, the moment we started this season in January, all you had to do was Google stuff and you see you couldn't do it. It was all anti-Trump. If you owned an Android phone and you didn't learn how to hack, shutting off a news feed... You were inundated with Russia stories that were insane. Nonstop, every day I'd get three or four WAPO, New York Times, CNN, 
Never Fox. Never rebuttal. Social media is our media. For melodic people, that's how they get their news. And they get it with one slant. Liberal. Anti-conservative. Pro-gay. When Hunter Biden was going out, no, we're changing the dictionaries because sexual preference is now homophobic. Which they made up on the fly. We proved it on the show. The social media bias alone was a huge factor. And I know there's a lot of different reasons. But these are the policies. These are the things he has not been made to speak on. He has not been held accountable for. Nobody's asked any question. And we're not even in the big bulk, which is the Hunter story, which we will cover on the next show in a few minutes. Those things weren't covered. We didn't ask about his tax plan. We didn't ask, what what is your policy for immigration? What is your policy for guns? What are you going to do for Medicare? What are you going to do for two states court packing? He's never answered the question. But the media was, they were glad to run that because they don't want to talk about the Green New Deal. Harris was a fucking co-signer and was able to say, no, we're probably not going to employ some of that stuff. While her husband says, I'm married to the next president of the United States. And oh, by the way, we're going to do the 25th so that a committee of Democrats can say whether the sitting president could be president anymore for whatever reason they want. Not actually the way it's supposed to be, which is the president signs a letter, the vice president takes over, yada, yada. No, we're not doing that. Why would we do that? These people don't believe in the Constitution. They don't believe in the Electoral College. They want filibuster proof. We can do whatever the fuck we want, add two states, get all the illegals in, court pack, and just run every fucking policy without talking about it. Because remember, Nancy Pelosi, you will know what's inside the ACA once we pass it. Shut your fucking mouth. And that flew. She's been able to fly with grassroots for every one of her protests, financed by Soros, proven to be bust from state to state. No, that's grassroots. And when some people went to a fucking Michigan capital, got temperature checked, some of them were carrying guns, that was AstroTurf financed on 45 different stories about what conservative group did it, bunch of goddamn terrorists. Less than a month before BLM was tearing our fucking streets up. And to this day, nobody's been held accountable. Are you for Biden getting rid of the nuclear family and turning our country into Marxist nation? How about reparations? Because that's part of BLM. How about defunding all police and not having police? That's BLM. He's never had to answer that question. Well, I don't really think, uh, I'm not really down with all of it. When a week prior, his intern tweeted he was. These are all things nobody's talked about. They've not been required to talk about. And the media has purposely censored while they're censoring anything anti-Biden. They have fact-checked his tax claim and said he hasn't said he's going to raise taxes. Not he isn't raising taxes on everybody. That's not the fact check. Look it up. That's what Politico did. 
And then we have the auxiliary. The first, as talked about, and I'll still do the dun-dun, abortion. The other, anti-military bias. No exception. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion, even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain? Her answer. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I will tell you one uh, first thing I would say is this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done. Uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way, um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. And do you think multiple physicians should have to weigh in as is currently required? She's trying to lift that requirement. Well, I think it's always good to get uh, a second opinion and for, for at least two providers to be involved in that decision because these decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I, w- I would certainly support more than one provider. All right. Let's uh, go back to the phones now uh, for the governor. We're going to talk now with uh, Mike, who's calling in. A lot of jet fuel just to do a little flyover. That's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. That stuff ain't happening with Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right now, partner. The abortion issue, once again, will never be rectified because they don't want it rectified. But 70% of America is for abortion. 67% of America is for restriction on abortions, and about 68% of America is for non-federal money going to abortions. If our media wasn't so biased, they would be talking about how we are already paying for abortions because they classify it as a emergency contraceptive kit which is a chemical abortion and we pay for that that's not walled off with the Hyde because the Hyde amendment didn't cover chemical abortions and Obama made chemical abortions day after pill part of health insurance but as I'm apt to do with this just briefly 
since Roe v. Wade, 62,325,942 babies have been aborted. Planned Parenthood since 1970, 8,936,613, and it just ticked because this is a live clock, 14 abortions. We send them on average $650 million for supposed woman health care. But they don't do mammograms or prenatal. This year alone, Planned Parenthood has killed 289,330 babies. In the United States this year, 697,359.234 babies have been aborted. U.S. this year, after 16 weeks, which supposedly doesn't happen, they say, 33,474. U.S. this year due to rape, which is such a huge reason that they say there's abortion, 6,000. Black babies since 73, 18,697,783.123. Worldwide since 980, 1,000,000,000. 592,348,077, 78, 78, 80, 81, 82 babies. Worldwide this year, 32,735,757,89. Worldwide, since you looked at this page, 169. Worldwide today, 43,000. Even though we ran a whole election on free birth control. And the last soundbite is what I've talked about a million times and I can go in depth. That's just Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and it's not a thing. Didn't become news. Low skill set military members. The only military members they ever talk about are ones that refuse to deploy to war. Send state secrets. Bradley Chelsea Manning, who became a hero once she chopped her cock off. They despise the military. They downsize the military every time. And it puts us in peril. And we lose more people because we're not prepared for the next conflict. And invariably their foreign policy gets us into a war. So those are my cases against Biden. None of it isn't factual, but all of it is ignored by the media and the Biden campaign. They have not been made to account for any policies other than we hate Trump. So to end and segue into the media bias, that is another reason why I can't abide by Biden. Ben Shapiro was against Trump and did not vote for him. He made a case this week, and he also summed up very well my feelings on how the left has replaced religion with intersectionality. That will be the closeout. There will be no ending montage. 
we will just start a new podcast. It'll be 10-22-2020-B on bias, and you will hear media bias the 200 times the walls are closing in. I did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. I am voting for Donald Trump in 2020. There are three reasons I'm going to vote for Donald Trump in 2020 when I didn't four years ago. First, I was simply wrong about Donald Trump on policy. Second, I wasn't really wrong about Donald Trump on character, but whatever damage he was going to do has already been done, and it's not going to help if I don't vote for him this time. And third, most importantly, the Democrats have lost their f***ing minds. So first of all, Donald Trump has governed pretty conservatively. I thought he would not be conservative in his governance. I was just wrong on that. Donald Trump radically cut regulation. He actually saw reductions in the number of man hours dedicated to dealing with regulation for the first time in a long time under Donald Trump. He appointed originalist judges to the best of his ability. We're talking dozens of them, textualist, originalist judges who actually care about the role of the judiciary. He cut taxes, jogging the economy, raising it to heights not seen in half a century, the lost unemployment rate in half a century, people having their wages rise at the bottom of the spectrum. He appointed pro-life people to the executive branch and pursued pro-life policy via executive order. He dumped out of the idiotic Paris Accords, which were useless and counterproductive. He dumped the even more idiotic and evil Iran deal, which gave money to the Iranian mullahs to use for terrorism, as John Kerry freely admitted. Donald Trump crushed ISIS. He killed al-Baghdadi. He killed Qasem Soleimani. Donald Trump is the first president of my lifetime not to start any new wars, which is a kind of big thing. He moved the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. He brokered the first meaningful peace deals there in three decades in the Middle East. He cracked down on China in unprecedented ways. He's resisted using the federal government to control everybody's life during COVID. That's a big thing. This is the biggest government power grab of my lifetime. And Trump refused to do it. Donald Trump restored due process on college campuses because he actually cares about due process, or at least his secretary of education does. Contrary to popular opinion, Donald Trump has not actually threatened the institutions. The fact is that Donald Trump may have been hemmed in by his own people. Whatever the rationale, he has not threatened the press. He has not threatened the legislature. He has not used the executive branch in nearly as powerful ways as Barack Obama did. Trump hasn't been as conservative as I would like on everything. He's spent way too much money, like oodles too much money. I actually care about that stuff. His perspective on trade is a zero-sum game. I think it's wrong-headed. He still signed into law the USMCA, which is a pretty good trade deal. But these are problems I've had with a variety of Republicans, including George W. Bush. Trump has governed overall in a far more conservative fashion than W on policy. He is the most conservative president of my lifetime on policy. Of course, Ronald Reagan left office when I was four years old. Second, times change. When I said I wouldn't vote for Trump in 2016, I was worried about three things. One, policy. Again, I was wrong. Second, I was worried about the soul-sucking of the Republican Party to approve bad behavior, the people nodding and grinning at bad stuff Trump did. A lot of that has happened. And third, I was worried about toxicity down ballot, right? Losing House seats, losing Senate seats, blowing out the Republican Party with minorities and women and young people. A lot of that has manifested. But here's the thing. It's already manifested. And me not voting for Trump in 2020 doesn't stop that from manifesting. Like, I've been very, very clear on my feelings about Donald Trump's character. I have serious reservations, to say the least. Trump has some good qualities, right? He's a hammer in search of a nail. Sometimes he hits a nail. It's super satisfying. And sometimes he hits a baby, and it is far less satisfying. Trump hitting the media, it's often justified. I mean, the media have exposed themselves as just a pure dumpster fire of leftist garbage. They've treated him as an enemy from the very first day. They've promulgated false narratives. They've lied about things that he has said. They have taken the worst interpretation of everything he could possibly have said. That doesn't mean that Trump hasn't been vindictive or or petty or immoral. He, He does all those things. Trump being unable to focus and willing to jump on any rake is not just immoral. It it is very often stupid and counterproductive. I mean, 
You know my opinion on this. Everybody knows, okay, deep down in the cockles of your heart, no matter how much you love Trump, everybody knows the Trump administration with Trump on teleprompter more often and less on Twitter would be in a position to win the 2020 election more easily. Everybody also knows that Trump's tweets damage him with people who don't already love him. All of that is true, right? But all of it is not changing. There's a group of people out there who every time Trump tweets something newly stupid, they get newly enraged. I think most Americans, basically, this is all baked into the cake at this point. I think it's important, deeply important, for conservatives to criticize Trump when he requires it. When Trump does something bad, we should say it out loud. We shouldn't hide that. And that's why I've been calling balls and strikes on Trump as a president since the day he was elected. But 2020 is not 2016. Everything that is bad about Trump is already part of the system. It's already part of the new normal, for better or for worse. And me avoiding voting for him in 2020 doesn't change that. Third, and most importantly, the Democrats have lost their f***ing minds. They've lost their minds. So have members of the mainstream media, so have members of our bureaucracy, so have members of academia. These people must not be allowed the mechanisms of power. Our most crucial institutions, from corporate America to the universities, they've been corrupted top to bottom. And giving them power over your lives, more power over your lives, huge mistake. The Democrats are no longer the party even of Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. They're the party of Bernie Sanders, and they're just wearing around the mask of Joe Biden. They're the party of Rashida Tlaib and Nohan Omar. Joe Biden is a Potemkin village of a candidate. He is not a bulwark against radicalism. He is a facade for it. Everybody knows it. That's why Bernie is touting him as the most progressive presidential candidate since FDR. There's a reason that Noam Chomsky is on board with Joe Biden. Right? I mean, if you just watch this stuff, it should scare the hell out of you. Today's Democratic Party is not even the Democratic Party of Barack Obama circa 2008. Barack Obama circa 2008 supported traditional marriage. Barack Obama circa 2008 was not openly in favor of packing the courts or getting rid of the filibuster. Barack Obama in 2008 used to speak about personal responsibility sometimes. Like all of this is just gone. The Democratic Party is now the party of radicalism. The simple mandate for the Democrats is this. They now believe in cramming down their perspective on everyone they can via any force that they can control. They believe that you should be forced by law to violate your religious beliefs if it conflicts with their social views. They believe that the science says we have to destroy the free market in the name of the environment. They say that unborn babies aren't babies, that men can be women. And if you disagree with any of that, you are a bigot, you're a homophobe and you're a terrible person. They believe that your right to keep and bear arms should be heavily infringed, if not outright abolished. They believe that due process comes second to intersectional identity, that we shouldn't judge you as an individual. We should judge you based on your racial group. They believe that America is systemically racist, rooted in sin and evil, founded in 1619, not in 1776. They believe that every single disparity in America can be chalked up to racism and bigotry and America sucking. They believe in racial, sexual, sexual orientation quotas, overt discrimination. They believe in a hierarchy of victimhood. If you're low on that hierarchy of victimhood, you should shut up. If you're high on the hierarchy of victimhood, you can say whatever the hell you want. You will never be held accountable. They believe that economic freedom should be curbed in the name of income equality. They care far less about growth and prosperity than they do about some bizarre notion that equality is its own good. They're complicit in a culture war on anybody who disagrees. They seek to ruin anybody who stands in their way, and they will activate the media. They'll activate social media. They'll activate their friends in academia to get all of that done. Meanwhile, they'll make room for Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They will cheer the rioting and the looting, or at least they'll go along with it and refuse to condemn it. But if you go to church during a pandemic, you are a danger to society. If you go to grandma's funeral, you're super dangerous. But if you are out there rioting and looting and burning things, that's just a philosophy, guys. It's not a movement. It's not an organization, as Joe Biden said. They literally will not even condemn Antifa. Okay, Antifa is a terrorist organization. They will not condemn it. They will not condemn Black Lives Matter protests that escalate into rioting and looting. 
They think that there's no relationship whatsoever between an ideology that suggests that America is at root evil and that every institution in American life is infected with that evil and the rioting and the looting. On foreign policy, the Democrats want to kowtow to Iran. They want to re-enter the garbage Paris Accords. They want to make nice with China. They've threatened to destroy the Electoral College, pack the Supreme Court, abolish the filibuster, add states by simple majority to vote Democrat. They say they'll use impeachment as a purely political tool. In fact, they've even said they want a congressional committee to use the 25th Amendment to get rid of a sitting president. They seek to centralize all power in the executive branch, and they hope to overrun the powers of the states. They're aided in all of this by corporations, the mainstream media, and pretty much anybody else they can get their hands on. They've created a social structure dedicated to ostracizing anybody who dissents on leftist dogma. If you vote for Trump, you are evil. Your friends should stop talking to you. You should stop talking to your own parents. Maybe you should be fired. Certainly, people should stop treating you like a human being. So here's the deal. I'm voting for Trump. You don't have to love Trump's character. You don't have to like his Twitter account to vote for him. You don't have to approve of the crazy or bad things that he says or the way he often acts. But if you care about the Constitution and economic freedom and the security of the United States, you really don't have a whole hell of a lot of choice. You should vote for Trump. You should certainly vote against Joe Biden and a Democratic Party that is running completely off the rails and now threatens the integrity of the republic if they are given the levers of power. We're going to have to learn to live with the virus until a vaccine is developed. And even after a vaccine is developed, it is possible we'll have to learn to live with the virus. Because again, we don't know the efficacy of the vaccine when tried over a wide range of human beings. At that point, people are going to have to go back to normal and take their chances. Everybody acknowledges this if they are rational about this. But the media have crafted a narrative. The narrative is Trump killed 200,000 people. And also that once Trump is gone, he's like a devilish miasmatic evil. Once Trump goes, all bad things in the universe subside. This is how you know that the politics has turned into paganism for so many people. When Barack Obama left office and Donald Trump took office, I didn't think that all bad things in the universe had stopped. Donald Trump is a person. He does things. Some of them I like, some of them I don't. But for Democrats, because they have so much invested in politics, because so little is, is, is play. I mean, honestly, I do think there's a religious aspect to this because religion seeks an outlet. And if you're not a religious person, you seek that outlet in faith in the state, faith in the collective, faith in political actors. You end up saying wildly paganistic things about politics. And so this is the democratic narrative. Donald Trump, if removed from office, everything is justified in removing the devil, right? Anything that you can do to stop the devil, you do. That means you don't report. It means that you say false things. It means you promote false narratives. All of that is okay because you're stopping the devil. And once the devil is gone, then utopia reigns. Once, once Donald Trump, Satan is gone, then the sun breaks through the clouds. COVID magically dissipates. The economy starts to boom again. Racial tolerance is flowing across the land like milk and honey. If you believe any of this, you're a sucker. You're an absolute sucker. But this is what the media and Democrats want you to believe.